Welcome to episode number two of the J Bunny's Music Hub podcast. I'm your host, J Bunny. First of all, I want to thank anybody that uh, checked out episode one and gave me their feedback. Uh, it's always appreciated, especially on a new project such as this. Um, uh, for this second episode, uh, I interviewed uh, another friend of mine, because like I said, this is still new, and so you you do who you know, or you, <laughs> you interview who you know. I didn't didn't do anything with Charlie other than interview him. Um, but uh, he's the former singer from uh, Julius Seizure and drummer for Will Kilmore. He's got a new project called uh, The Silencer, although it's not that new, I found out through the course of the interview. But um, I'm not going to talk too long before this because this episode was, this interview was way, way longer than my last one. Uh, this, this episode is going to be uh, a bit time-consuming for, for those of you that listen, but I hope you stick with it. Uh, I considered uh, editing some stuff out of it or, or um, you know, maybe chopping it into two episodes. Um, but uh, I opted to keep it as a whole as a whole thing. Uh, if you guys uh, want to give me some feedback on, on how you feel about that and, and maybe uh, what I should have done different, let me know. But uh, for now, here's Charlie. All right, Jay Bunny here. I'm in New City, New York today with uh, Charlie Corletta, former singer from uh, Julia Seizure and Will Kilmore and his new project, Silencer. How you doing today, Charlie? What's up, Jay Bunny? <laughs> so, how you been, man? It's, uh, been, it's been a while, right? Yeah, yeah, like as if I didn't just see you at the Sabaton show. <laughs> yeah. And we're like going to sit here and pretend like we didn't just have breakfast and talk for like an hour before the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, dude, doing good, doing really good. So I, right out of the gate, I want to I want to clear up a little confusion that I had for a little while. Um, like I said, I met you when you were in Julius Seizure, mm-hmm. and I had become aware of Julius Seizure initially just through seeing the name all the time on the Dingbats website. <laughs> for for you guys were playing all kinds of shows there, um, but it always used to say Julius Seizure, formerly Will Kilmore. Yeah, and I had always thought <clears throat> that that just meant that Will Kilmore had to change their name for some reason. That yeah. it was the same band. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't know better until just a year or two, however long ago it was, that you had been trying to put together some kind of a Will Kilmore reunion, which which didn't didn't happen. But when you were doing that, like I was like, oh, that was a different band. Yeah. So can you kind of shed some light on the relationship between the two bands? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now that it seems that the reunion is not going to happen, unfortunately, I think I could definitely shed some light on everything. Um, well, first off, Julius Caesar, yeah, was its own entity. Um, Will Kilmore was a band. Actually, I played drums in. That was that was my gig for Will Kilmore. Um, and when I left the band, they acquired Kyle Wilson, who was the drummer then for Julius Caesar. Uh, so then he took my place to play drums. I think that lasted like maybe a month or so. Um, and then within that time frame, uh, James DeGange, the founding member of Will Kilmore, left. He was the uh, other guitarist. Okay. So... Then he left the band, they recruited someone else, and then it got to a point where the singer, Joe Marini, just wasn't wasn't feeling it. I think there was a little bit of tension and, and some bad blood after a show with some of the members. This was after I had been gone. So then he left the band, and from what I gather and from what happened, he then kind of went on the whole, well, this is my band and James's band thing, and you can't use the name oh. if we're not in the band. Which to me personally, I never thought was 100% fair. I do <clears throat> believe that if you leave a band, whether you started it or not, you kind of forfeit a lot of the rights and privileges of 
of having that band name and doing things with it because you you left it for right. whatever reason. Right. Now, had we all left on the terms that, hey, we still want to do Will Kilmore, but with different members, and that would have been a different story. But that's not what happened. Um, so then there was some inner turmoil there. Julius Caesar started. Um, I still wasn't in the mix. They had Yosef L. on vocals, right. who's currently, well, I guess the band's not, they're kind of disbanded again. But okay, um, I was going to ask you about yeah, that yeah, later. Yeah. But, um, but uh, Yosef was singing, and they put out some killer music videos with him and uh, put out an EP, uh, The Ides of March, I think it was called. And then um, in that time frame, I don't know if it was despite Joe, the singer, or or not, but they put formally Will Kilmore, which, because they had three members of Will Kilmore, you had Brian Daniel, you had uh, Steve Toth, and then now you had Kyle Wilson, who had been drumming for like a month. So in their mind, they were like, well, we were Will Kilmore, you know, like, we're the majority. Right, right. So I would have liked to have seen it be advertised right off the gate as ex-Will Kilmore. Like, I think that would have been fair. And I think they may have changed that at some point, um, but I couldn't... It's kind of so far far back that it's hard to remember, but it was just a crazy time because there was a lot of like tension. I remember there being a lot of jealousy and bitterness um, with the guys who had left, and uh, it's very unfortunate because to this day, the only reason that we're not able to all get together and just get in a room and play music and have fun like we used to was because of is because of that that tension, that jealousy, that inner turmoil, and the just I guess the hard headedness of being like band guys you know everyone's got an ego at times you know i'm definitely not immune to that i think i have an ego everyone has an ego to some degree but those all those egos are just clashing and, and it's very unfortunate because i feel that we were in a really prime spot when i left uh jose had just picked us up and started blasting us on sirius xm um liquid metal and we were definitely moving in the right direction yeah. and uh we had the label interest which was huge and uh, we were able to do everything ourselves. Like all those shows, like anytime we had a really big show that was like sold out or like a packed house and that was all, that was all us. Yeah. You know, like we played with some really amazing bands from the local scene it's, and some great national uh, acts as well. But when we did our own shows, they were fun, they were packed. And I think that, I think that A&R reps and guys like Monty Connor and Brian Slagle started getting wind of that. So they at least took an interest, like right, right. like they saw like we had videos out there on YouTube, and they weren't the greatest videos, but you would look at that Dingbats crowd, and although it's a small venue, that place would be packed, and people were like stage diving and then moshing and going crazy, and like dude, like dude, there's a video <laughs> of a guy jumping up on stage when we're playing a show there, and he literally just ripped into a beer can, like with his, <laughs> with, his with his teeth, face? with his teeth, like wow. something out of like uh, Nerds or like Animal House, he just like ripped it. And then, like, he just, like, shook his head like an animal, like a, like a maniac, and then just jumped right into the crowd. And that was, like, maybe, like, our third or fourth show ever wow. there. So, like, the the caliber of, of what we were trying to achieve live was, was something huge. It just sucked, man. I wish I wish we could reunite. But, yeah, man, Julius Caesar thing happened. And then, uh, I guess, some things weren't working out with Yosef for a little while. I got into the fold. And then, to me... If you're gonna say X Julius uh, X will kill more or formerly will kill more, now at least has it a little bit more validity because now I'm in the folds and now you have four members of the four guys who were in Will Killmore right, like in another right. band that's kind of similar, but in my opinion we're more technically sound and a lot edgier than Will Killmore was. Will Killmore was more of like like your girlfriend's metal band, okay. you know what I mean? Like like it was a good time, yeah, but yeah. like we were 
like Julius Caesar was on a mission, like in a when when I was in the band at least. So, yeah, they, it wasn't really the same band. <laughs> so what? Uh, how how did they get you in Julius Caesar? Because you were the drummer of Wilco. Yeah. What made you decide to switch to vocals, and what made them think to ask you, or how how did that come about? Um. Well, I had started doing the Silencer, my solo project, and um, I had released one single uh, called Discovery of the Lost Cause, and uh, in that single I actually recruited friends and peers from like the industry and from the scene that I wanted to have play on the song with me. So I wrote everything, um, recorded all the guitars, uh, but then I asked like JP Andrade, who uh, actually played with Elysian at one point, he played with Windfarer. And he played with Grimace. Okay. So I, I asked him to play drums. Uh, I asked my boy Daryl Cherry from uh, Torch the Throne. And um, he played bass and, and did vocals. And then my friend Dave played lead guitar. He just did the solo, just the solo on the, on the, on the, the, uh, the single. But uh, with Daryl, his vocals are amazing. But I still wanted to have my voice on it because it was my track. Right. So like I doubled up a lot of the screams on there, and then I did all of the, like the singing of the choruses, and people were like telling me like, dude, like you've got a pretty decent voice, like you know I might want to consider this. And I had been playing drums for for so so long that it was a nice break to not have to like lug gear around, and, <laughs> you know, and like dude, my back was always killing me. My posture was always it's still crap from from being a drummer. Um, no matter how much I worked out, no matter how much I did yoga or like worked my core, like I was always feeling like broken down after a long period of time of, of drumming. So it was a nice change and I released a single and I just, I got really super ambitious at that point because I had still been doing some drumming projects. I did a drumming thing for this local band called Kill the Fiction and it, they put out a single that I was on and then we did a tribute to uh, the Graves Era of the Misfits. We did a Halloween tribute. I drummed on that, and I was still, I, to this day, I still am a drummer, you know, like, but... I could see a drum kit yeah, in the yeah, corner I right think, here. Yeah, I have, <laughs> yeah, we're in my apartment right now, and I have a vintage uh, Gretsch kit from the 60s, like, in pristine condition, I might yeah. have. It's, like, perfect. I actually got that a really good deal. Like, I'm not even going to say it on the podcast in case the dude listens, but I got it at a really good price. Um, but, yeah, so I was really ambitious at this point. I was just taking on any project, because after I left Will Kilmore, there was a period of time where I just got really stir crazy i was like kind of like i'm going to take a break from music because i've been going so hard with them for so long and uh you know i'd been exploring and, and just going to amazing places with like the girl i was seeing at the time and then all of a sudden like it hits you like the musician you was like all right this is that was fun vacation but you gotta get back to work right so putting together the solo project and i and what really got me inspired was um going out to sweden for the first time and seeing my friends um I'm friends with like the guys in Inflames and that whole Gothenburg sound scene. I'm, I'm yeah. friends with a lot of those guys uh, and their family and friends. So being out there really inspired me and lit the fire under my ass to get back in gear. Got home, wrote the single, sang with you know on it, and then all of a sudden the Haunted released like fast forward like another year. The Haunted released a statement saying that Peter Dolving left the band, and Peter Dolving like people could say whatever they want about him on a personal level. I don't know him really on a personal level. Like, he likes my stuff on Facebook, which is cool. <laughs> but, like, I like his insight on things sometimes. Um, but as as a musician, straight up, I think he's one of the most killer vocalists, like, ever. I love his vocal styling. Um, and I love The Haunted. I love the whole Gothenburg sound. And so when I found out that he had left the band, um, I was like, oh, man, that sucks. I was bummed out as a fan. I wasn't even thinking in terms of being a musician, like, that this is an opportunity. But then all of a sudden, people from the Inflames camp were like that were associated with the camp um, 
were messaging me and telling me, hey, man, maybe you should think about auditioning like wow. for, for The Haunted. And I was like, what? Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't compare it to Dulling. Uh, needless to say, I didn't get the gig. So, I mean, obviously, I wasn't that good. But um, I remember like sending in my you audition. you did actually try out? Yeah, yeah. I sent in my audition. I did The Flood. And I did uh, a newer song that they had released called uh, No Ghosts. And it was cool because I actually had tons of correspondence with the band directly, oh, with cool. like Anders more specifically. Um, he was like constantly getting back to me. And then I thought I was actually like, in the running um, from what he had been saying. Like I was in massive consideration based on the, uh, the demo. And then the band kind of went silent for like, like almost like a year hmm. and then nothing happened. And uh, then in that time, all of a sudden, they decided to get Marco, the original vocalist, right. who had been singing in The Resistance at the time with my friend Jesper Stromblad from In Flames. Um, and which is funny, because when he saw that I had tried out, he kind of like sent a thing on Facebook and said to me, he's like, why the fuck are you going to try out for that band? <laughs> yeah, okay, Marco. Well, look what happened. He joins the band a year later. But, um, which they sound awesome with him. Exit Wounds is phenomenal. Um, but that, again, like now that started a whole new thing, like a whole, a whole buzz. And um, Yosef had gotten fired from Julius Caesar for various reasons. And I, was, I just threw, I threw my hat in the mix because I wanted to be in a live band again. I was yeah. tired of doing just things here and there on the side. And um, my point of contact was the bass player, Brian, because he was from Will Kilmore. And next thing you know, I do the audition and then I have like a show the next week. <laughs> oh wow! I had to learn all the songs in like less than a week, um, and I still didn't really know them. So, if you watch video of the first show with me, um, it was actually hosted by Jose from Sirius yeah. Jose Mangan. He hosted the show, and if you look, I have a mic stand like kind of perched in the corner of the stage, uh, with that had like an attachable music stand. Yeah, that had the lyrics kind of like okay, like all there just in case I needed them. You know, like I felt like Ozzy looking at a teleprompter, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I got the gig. They heard my my haunted audition and okay. that's what made them say yeah let's bring him in to the studio and see how he does rehearsing and they really seemed to like me at the time and I, I've always loved the band I thought that song TMSNEV which I eventually went and re-recorded with them and put out a music video for I thought that track was just killer like yeah. I was like that, that track just rips it's got so much attitude and that's what I liked about them like there was a lot of attitude, and it was like kind of take no prisoner, prisoners mentality. It was like kind of old school metal band, which yeah, yeah. which I appreciated, and uh, that's how I got that's how I got mixed up with those cats. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So you eventually left the band. You're you're not with them anymore. No. Um, and I didn't know, I don't know if there was much made about it at the time because I I, I tend to pride myself on sort of knowing what the fuck is going on. Yeah. And I had no clue you were gone. I was going to a show at Dingbats, expecting to see you. Yeah. And. I didn't. I saw all the rest of the guys, and then I, I, I and I didn't see you. And I asked Anthony. I said, "So where's your singer?" He's like, "Oh, he he's not in the band anymore." I was like, "What? Well, then who's <laughs> who's playing tonight?" And I think they used a, a fill in for that show. Yeah. But I had no idea that you were gone. Yeah, they used. I think it was Matt from Cementsis had that filled in for me at the time. Um, yeah, I. It was very quick. It was very abrupt, and it sucked. Like in retrospect, I try not to regret anything I've done in my life you know life's too short to do that but that was a period of time where if I could go back you know I think every guy's got that period in his life where he's like if I could do things over again I would I would have done it done it a little differently and that was definitely one of those times um it was a hard time it was a really really hard time for me um personally um so 
like I was engaged to the same girl. Uh, we'd been together for like seven or eight years at this point. Um, and we had been engaged for like almost two years and we were getting ready to like have, you know, get everything together for the wedding and everything. And then I signed on with Julius Caesar. And when I signed on with them, they we just like started skyrocketing. Right. You know, like my goal was to get that band signed as soon as possible, to be touring as soon as possible. This to me it was like almost like a last chance to to really make something out of all of the years of work. Mm-hmm. And so I'd been tra- talking to Scott Lee from uh, from the Palladium New England Hardcore Metal Festival because um, I'd always looked up to him and his taste in music, and I had a feeling that he would appreciate Julius Caesar. Because uh, we had been playing like a lot of national shows with bands, and they all seemed right. to really like us. The guys from Shadows Fall and Kill Switch, like uh, Brian Fair and and Mike D of Kill Switch, they had a band called um, Death Ray Vision. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which is an awesome band. And um, first off, they were so cool because when we played a show with them, their sound check earlier in the day was just they just played Heartwork and Carcass songs all day. <laughs> I was, it's like, oh, this is awesome. And I'd kind of known them. I'd known Brian on and off for years. Not like super personal, but like when I see my show, it's like, oh, you're that dude. You yeah, know, like, yeah, what's yeah. up? So then we got to play with them and like they ended up getting our t-shirts and sporting the Julie Caesar t-shirts. Oh, and like cool. And like they were playing them and like they were wearing them on like big national stages with their other bands with Shadows Fall and with Kill Switch. So now like to me, everything's going like like all cylinders are fired. I'm like, this is amazing. This This band's working like a machine talking to scott lee now because he's got that new england hardcore connection as well yeah. and i'm really trying to get julius seizure like to play new england hardcore metal festival to me i was like if we could do that in summer slaughter and we can make a name on those two uh bills we're we're good right, we're right. gonna we're gonna we're gonna really take off so i started developing i don't know i get like tunnel vision when i'm in bands mm-hmm. where everything else outside of the band i'm not like this really anymore but at the time, everything outside of the band kind of takes a backseat to what I'm doing. Like, right, this right. is my job. I, like, I dive into it, like, almost too much. And I always had a hard time finding a balance between the passion and the work that comes with being in a band and, like, being a DIY artist and, like, literally, like, every, like, facet of that. Like, doing everything, managing, booking, promoting. Like, every everyone who's in a band knows exactly what, what work it entails. But I just get tunnel vision and... At the time, I started developing this, like, I don't know, this doubt. Because now I was engaged, right? And I was like, yo, my girl's not going to want to stay with me if I have to go and tour. Meanwhile, she had been, like, the most supportive of any person in my life. Like, never, and we never had, like, a major hiccup in the relationship. It was almost, like, picture perfect. A lot of people said that, which is, like, ironic. Like, because now you look, we're not together anymore. But, But she was, at the time, like, always super supportive. But I started neglecting time with her i started neglecting time thinking about the, the the wedding and the engagement and i knew this yeah i knew this deep down inside but i was like this is it like i have to i've got to go balls to the wall with the band and i was i just ran myself way too hard way too fast um and i burned out really fast so that things came to a head with her where we were fighting constantly um there's all of a sudden trust issues that were never there were popping up and um the crazy thing is, like, I don't want to make this too long, but I had uh, a girl in my life from when I was, like, younger kind of show up into my life again. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had some really serious personal problems, like substance abuse problems. And 
turns out she ended up living like a couple doors down from us uh, where we lived in Nyack. Okay. And out of nowhere, like we ran into her after not seeing her for 10 years. Oh, wow. But she was not in good shape. Like yeah, she yeah. was like, she was going to die kind mm. of thing. And so I lent out a helping hand. My, my ex like freaked out about that. I was hiding it because I knew she was freaking out about it. Yeah. So now the, the whole dishonesty thing kicks in and now the trust issues happen. Now I have this whole pile of garbage and, and drama on one side of my life and then I have the highs and lows that come with being in a band yeah. and it all happened in a blink of an eye. So finally, we end up breaking up and I'm just like totally emotionally distraught over the whole thing. Like I was devastated and I actually like suffered, which is crazy, I didn't know this could happen, but you can suffer post-traumatic stress disorder from being with somebody and then not having them, separation anxiety. And oh wow. So like I went through, I battled that for like a, like a year and a half or so. But um, in the process of all this, I like been running a big hard uh, PR campaign with Adrenaline PR. Um, they do they work with most of the national bands. Yeah. One of their big clients is uh, Lamb of God. Right. Uh, Maria actually worked with Sabaton. She was at the show the other night. Oh, okay. Um, so I had set up this whole campaign and been working side by side with Adrenaline to get it to get it going so that we can release a new video and still promote the EP which had just come out yeah. like, just a few months earlier. And I basically compiled all the information that was needed and I had all the trouble going on in my personal life. I just messaged the guys one day and was like, hey, I kind of just need you guys to step your games up for me just yeah. for like tonight. Like I was literally going through the breakup that night and I was like, here's all the material. Please just send it to Maria and make sure the correspondence is, correspondence, correspondence is there and then I'll get back to her like in a day or two. Yeah. And within that time frame, like the one guitarist... Um, and I really don't care. Like I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I, I tell it how it is. Like the one guitarist, Anthony, like had she kind of blew up on everyone in the band. It huh. blew up on me. Like if you guys don't do the work, I'm quitting. And all of a sudden, this inner turmoil in the band just started in the same day. Huh. And it was just too much for me to handle. And I was like, you know what? None of this is worth it. Like, and I started getting really jaded, and I started seeing it as a thing where it was like, I was half the problems I have right now in my relationship and my personal life is all because. I put all my stock in you guys. I put all my investment and my time and my love to you, the band. Yeah. And now you now you're gonna act like a like a baby right now and not be professional and just help a brother out and get what get done what needs to get done. Right. And I don't know if maybe he had some inner frustrations or some of the guys had some frustrations because during that time I started missing some rehearsals. Mm. And I was actually like I don't I'm not like I don't have a problem with like substances or like a like abuse. Like I never took any drugs. I'm like straight edge as it gets, um, aside from dabbling in, in weed when I was younger, you know, yeah, yeah. but I was drinking a lot and, and, uh, just trying to mask some stuff. And I, in retrospect, I looked, I was like, you know what? I probably wasn't the easiest to, to be around for like that month or two when she, things got really crazy because yeah. it became all drama. Like I would come into the rehearsal space and I'd be talking like I am to you about, all the crap that's going on. Yeah. And I think it got to a point where maybe they had just heard enough and they were kind of like, Charlie, get your get your act together. Like, be with the band, be with the girl, but decide what you got to do and make it work. Yeah, I mean, that, that was my, my experience in life is uh, when I had a relationship go bad. You know, people try and be supportive, but at the same time, they kind of get tired of hearing you complain Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just didn't see it at the time. I thought, like, just because I think that I'm, I'm like, almost extra giving to people and more open, I think, to most people than other people are. And to me, I don't think that in, 
I would have been reacting the same way. But then I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We were doing really well for ourselves. And, um, so yeah, I just, I just bounced, dude. I yeah. just bounced out of the band. Like I literally was like, all right, if this is how it's going to be, I'm done as of right now. I was like, I'm, and I never had done anything like this. Usually if I left a group, I would commit to whatever shows were left on, on the calendar. Uh, any projects, if there was like a music video that had to get done, like we were recording, whatever, I would commit to that, to whatever had to be done, and then I would leave. Yeah. And this was a situation where I was so burnt out so quickly that I just abruptly left, and it sucked, dude, because I remember I, I'm friends with uh, Rob Dukes, uh, formerly of Exodus. Right, and now and Generation, Generation Kills, Kill yeah. and Fragile Mortals. Yeah, Fragile Mortals, dude. They're, that's awesome. The stuff he's doing with that, with uh, DMC, it's amazing. So, we had a show coming up with them at Dingbats, which I think is the show you're referring to. Might be. Yeah, that was the first show. And um, I literally, like, messaged him. I'm like, dude, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I have to leave the band. And he just pretty much said it flat out. He's like, you got to do what you got to do for yourself. Take care of yourself first and foremost. Like, get mentally healthy and, and balanced. You know, this is like a crazy industry. And, and he knows firsthand. Yeah. And I actually always looked up to Rob Dukes because he's from the area. He's yeah, from yeah. Clarkstown here. And uh, he actually started off on a, on a public access show called Check It Out. Oh, yeah? Where, yeah, dude, it was awesome. Uh, this guy, Greg Safola was like a videographer, director. But it was like kind of like tongue-in-cheek, kind of Wayne's worldy, you know? Like, okay. Like very like, low-budget public access with like a camcorder. And they would make these skits that were kind of ridiculous. And uh, Rob Dukes played this character called Sebastian the Monkey Boy. And they would just go up to drive-thrus, and I'm actually going to do the impression, because if he ever listens to it, I think it would be funny. He, they'd go up to a drive-thru, and they'd be like, oh, welcome to Wendy's or whatever, how can I take your order? And he'd just be like, aha, dick! And he would just say dick over and over and over, <laughs> and act like he'd wear stupid hats. And it doesn't sound that funny if you haven't seen it, but if you, I think it's on YouTube, actually. Okay, I'll have to but, check that out. But as a kid, this keep in mind, like I grew up in the era of Beavis and Butthead, yeah, yeah. and Wayne's World, and, and, and Tommy Boy, you know? So to me, this was amazing like material. And I'd watch it on Friday nights when it, or Saturday nights when it would come on. And uh, it would always be on at like 10 to midnight or something like mm. that. And uh, it, in there, they would always show like his band. with it was, So the, the director guy, Greg, had, was the drummer. And then you had Rob Dukes who played guitar and sang. Right. And um, I just, he always had this like Hetfield-like voice to him at first. And he played like metal-shaped guitars, and you know, as a young kid, I yeah. was like, "Oh man, these guys!" So I really started looking up to him. And then years later, you know, I got to meet him, kind of become cool with him. And so I felt very like disappointed and let down that like I had to tell him I wasn't going to play the show and this yeah. and that. And we had just developed a great relationship. He had hooked me up with um, with his manager out in Europe for uh, for uh, for his bands, and I was like, "This is." This is awesome. Everything's going the right way. Yeah. Um, I think her name was Julia. So she was Exodus's manager. and She was going to be working with us to get us out into Europe with Julia's seizure. And wow. So it was a lot of big things. So then I just left and the band didn't make a big fuss about it. I didn't make a big fuss about it. But what happened was they immediately, like, as soon as they did that show, I think they got Yosef back in the fold, the original vocalist, relatively quickly. Yeah. And then they immediately went and just deleted all history of me. I don't know if there was bad blood like that they just didn't tell me about. Yeah, in doing the uh, in doing the sort of the research for the questions I was yeah. writing last night, I was sort of looking. Um, I, was, I was trying first. I was trying to figure out when the fuck I became aware of you guys, 
And I figured that I could figure that out by checking my past posts in the Music Hub, and I found that I never wrote a daily discovery by Julius Caesar, which is fucking crazy to me, so I'm going to have to go back and do that now. <laughs> but um, in the bio on, on their site, uh, it had just basically... You were sort of only mentioned briefly, like, you know, the band formed, da-da-da, and then, you know, Charlie Corletta was, was the vocalist for a little while until yeah. Joseph came back. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And then, but like, they deleted all, like, the pictures and the videos, which is crazy. We did two pretty big music videos for uh, Second Coming off the EP uh, Trials, and then um, one for TMSNEV off of Ides of March, which we re-recorded, which went, also went on Trials. And um, they deleted that stuff like off the YouTube, and it was still out there because other like other media um, organizers had put it up there, mm-hmm. you know. So it's still there, which I'm happy and proud about. But I think they just didn't want to make it seem like they skipped a note, like mm-hmm. or skipped a beat. Yeah. Like they didn't want to come across to anyone in the industry as a band that that like was sidetracked for a second. They mm-hmm. just wanted to have this image of well, we're still going hard, we're still going good. Um, but I just, it's just kind of funny because I did more work with that band and for that band in a year than I had done with anything my entire life and for anyone. Right. And the, the proof is like, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. I think the proof's in the pudding that when I left, they had some really great momentum and then they didn't, they didn't, they didn't hold up their end of the bargain of keeping it. Like, you know, the, the, the table was set for them. The food was made, you know? Yeah, I saw them a couple of times like that that show with the, with the fill-in singer, and then I saw them twice with Yosef, uh, both times playing shows with War of Ages. Yeah. And then after that, I don't know what happened. Yeah. In fact, that sort of brings me into my next question of because of, you're still uh, work with Steve. Yeah. I like, love do Steve. you know the status of the band? Like, are they still together? Because the only thing I saw again in doing my research uh, last night, and then also just from still liking the band on Facebook and stuff, there there haven't been any posts short of like. Last year, there was a post, and it wasn't saying that they were breaking up or anything, but it was, hey, we're putting all our merch on clearance. Go check it out. Yeah. And that was it. Like, yeah. are they still a thing? Um, well, first off, like I got to say, I do. I love Steve Toth. Um, I like at the beginning, when I was in Will Kilmore, I had like a love-hate relationship with him because he could be kind of controlling, but it's well-warranted. Like, he's such a hard worker. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy, just, he writes songs, like, in full he's an engineer he engineers all the records you know he's really great in that respect plus he's like the ultimate rock star like when you see him on stage like that dude just has like that it that it factor when you see him so first off i just want to put that out there i love steve toth now as far as the band you'd have to talk to him more about it mm-hmm. but from what i know like i've listened there's two they have two full records of material right now like um that's not released there's a new record and there's a record of covers, um, okay. both of which are badass. And um, they were mixed and mastered by Joel of Circuitry, who I'm utilizing for my new single um, to do the mixing and mastering. And uh, they sound phenomenal. But what's happened was Brian Daniel, the bassist who was in Will Kilmore and Julius Seizure, he left the band. Kyle made an announcement. Kyle Wilson, the drummer, announced that he was leaving and those are not easy shoes to fill. Oh, see, like, I didn't know that Kyle left. I'd, I'd seen him play some shows with Seas of Wake, Wake, but I didn't right. know that he had... And also, Anthony had left and yeah, joined Anthony, Right, Wake. so Anthony had left. Right. First off, Anthony left. Then they never replaced the guitarist. They yeah, just, they were four-piece the four last piece, time I saw yeah. them. Um, then, I believe, Brian left. Then Kyle. 
and now it's just Steve and Yosef. Um, and from what I'm gathering, I was just with Steve two days ago, and we were talking to Joel because Joel knows Yosef, Joel of Circuitry. And he said that Yosef's been really busy just with his work. Um, I think he does like production work, lighting and oh, stuff okay. like that, crew work. And he's just been swamped trying to like make money and, and do whatever. And Steve has been trying to get Yosef to come down to record vocals or at least ideas for this material for over a year. Mm. So I last post I had seen was of Steve tracking all the guitars for the new album and putting a teaser out there. Mm -hmm. The All the instrumentation's done. They just don't have any vocals laid on top of it. And me being kind of like the the asshole I am, I threw, my, I threw my name back in the hat. I was like, you know, if if you want this material done and it doesn't get done because someone's not putting aside the time to just come to your place it's not like they have to spend money going to a studio either Steve does everything out of his place right it's like if they if he doesn't have the ability to find the time to do that then I'll be more than happy to do it I love to sing I love yeah. to scream I love Steve's material but he, I think he's very apprehensive for a number of reasons and I don't blame him uh, plus I think he genuinely likes Yosef over yeah. me as a vocalist yeah. dude's got power behind his pipes like so I don't know what the deal is with that I hope that it gets resolved soon and that music comes out very sooner than later. I keep trying to position myself to hang out with Steve as much as I can. Um, unfortunately, it's usually only when I'm working because he lives in Sayreville. Okay, wow. And, That's and, not close. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm all the way here <laughs> in Rockland County, New York. But um, whenever I'm there, I try to make the most of my time with him. Um, and I'm trying to like keep that fire lit under his ass Yeah. because to him, he always had that like, I can't fail attitude. It's all about being a band guy and, and touring and, and playing shows and writing records. And now I'm starting to see like the fires getting lost a little bit. Oh. Like he's getting a little frustrated because nothing's happening with his music. And I know that feeling all too well. So um, I'm just trying to like keeping, try to keep him like every time I talk to him about it, I'm like, well, just stay on him. If you want Yosef on the record, stay on him. Like yeah. you have to be more persistent. You have to just be really on top of people. So I hope it gets resolved soon because, dude, the, the music's killer. It is killer. Like, And it's on some new level that no band is doing right now. Like, Steve did stuff on this record that people don't have the balls to do. Like, I don't even want to give it away because right. if it breaks, it, it's going to be awesome. But if you go and you look on YouTube, he has uh, the teaser. And you can kind of okay. get an idea. I'll have to check that you can out. get an idea of where he was going with it. It's awesome material. All right, man. Now, I mentioned it uh, about merch. Uh, where did... Both the Julius Caesar merch and now your your merch with the silencer, I've noticed like you know you guys had that the Julius Caesar you had that Thundercat yeah that was you, my idea you got the master of the universe yeah, here yeah. like like who who did, who designs the merch and who who makes it um well first off we come up with the concept right like the, the Thundercats I'm a huge 80s pop culture buff. I can see behind you all of the Thundercats yeah, on the my, shelf yeah in my apartment I have like a ton of old school Thundercats and even the new school stuff like all the action figures I might have to get some like pictures of this stuff too because uh, I want to eventually start getting these these podcasts also on, on YouTube and I'm yeah. going to have, have some pictures to put oh, with yeah, them maybe yeah. I'll just take pictures when of we're talking about shit. this section yeah. we just pop up the picture clink there's be a picture of us with our thumbs up next to the stuff yeah man um, so like I do I love 80s pop culture um especially Thundercats and He-Man. And um, so we always come up with a concept. And that's something that, that came over from Will Kilmore too. Like um, we all kind of love that stuff in that band. And so whenever there was something that was kind of trending, we were trying to stay ahead of the curve. Like we had a, a sicker than swine flu shirt. Remember when swine flu? Oh hit? yeah, yeah, yeah. His, I do remember yeah, that shirt. Yeah, the big decapitated pig's head with the stamp with the Will Kilmore like uh, branding on the forehead. Um, 
It's a pretty brutal shirt, actually. But like, because yeah, I was never, I never got to hear or see Will Kilmer, but I, I think I saw that shirt yeah, online or something. Yeah, it's a dope shirt. It's rare. It's like rare now. Like it's some people. I still see. I go to concerts. I occasionally see people wearing it, which is pretty awesome. But um, we always had these ideas of like doing something pop culture oriented, like throwing in like sound samples in between breakdowns. We would do stuff like that. Or so then when we got into Julie's seizure, I just always wanted a Thundercats. I wanted a zombie Thundercats shirt tank top. <laughs> so. Um, we had hooked up with this dude, Juan Ortiz, um, his company's Of The Dead Designs. He does work for independent wrestlers. Uh, he does work for bands. At the time, he was only working with bands, and his stock really blew up the last couple of years. He's always busy working. Okay. Great graphic designer. He's based out of, uh, I think, Modesta, California. Um, he's awesome. Uh, so Of The Dead Designs, Juan, I just hit him up. I'm like, dude, I need X, Y, and Z, and he, he delivers. He did a Will Kilmore shirt for... Uh, like a Rockyless shirt for us with a casket, which was badass. And then I utilized him later on for the silencer. But um, the Julius Caesar stuff was awesome. He did he did the Thundercats logo uh, shirt. He did, I believe, you know, like uh, Little Caesars, Pizza Pizza. They did a Little Caesars. Yeah, I was, like looking, metal, metal. I was looking at the merch again last night because I, I only have the one shirt the uh, with, with the monkeys on it. Yeah, that's actually, he didn't design that. My one of my best friends, Dave Doherty, designed that. But that that's the only one that I have. Yeah, so it's like, oh, let me, let me look into getting some of this other. And they didn't have anything in fat guy sizes. Yeah. <laughs> they sell out quick, yeah. you know, with being metal bands. There wasn't much left. Yeah. It was... But that that monkey design actually is my one of my best friends, Dave Doherty. Um, he actually plays the solo on my first single, uh, Discovery of the Lost Cause. Um, he's a phenomenal guitarist. He's like the most hidden gem in like the history of guitar players like he i was in a band for him briefly like up like back in like in our 20s but he needs he should be playing out live every night that guy's like he's just got tone of the gods in his hands when he plays and but he's also an amazing graphic design artist so he designed the monkey design that you're talking about he also designed my first silencer shirt which is kind of like a, a spin-off of like an old whiskey logo or something okay um it's actually this you can't see it if you're listening but you well, can we see can it. put a picture of it yeah, up okay yeah that's for like that. Yeah, that's so, on the uh, that's uh, the art for the because that's on when I downloaded it from yeah, the uh, the Bandcamp Bandcamp page yeah yeah but um so he was awesome but then but then Juan was just more into the metal design like Dave's work is really clean Juan's work is really like brutal and like really like tons of color tons of textures yeah yeah so yeah like I gave you that that's the Masters of the Universe yeah, Skeletor yeah. tank top it was cool I was like dude I want a Skeletor tank top where Skeletor takes over Castle Grayskull. You know, like, it's in my dream, like, that's, Skeletor's more badass than He-Man, you know, like, so he, yes, he delivered, he, like, just drew it up, and I was, like, amazing, and his work is fast, dude, like, within two days, like, he had, like, each of those shirts probably done within two or three days. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. So, uh, we already sort of touched on, on uh, where, where the silencer came from and, and, and why you did that. Now, uh, until recently, that was just, it's just been you, solo you, but... You, we had talked the last time I saw you at the Stanhope House, um, and you've since posted on Facebook that you wanted to recruit other people into the band yeah. so you could play live. And I, I did see a post on Facebook that you have added at least one person to, dun, the, dun, dun, to the mix. Yeah, finally. <laughs> so um, who, who, who who have you added so far? And, and uh, you know, when uh, you have any idea of when you're going to be playing shows and stuff? Uh, I don't have an idea yet as to when I'll be playing shows, but I have... Uh, recruited my old guitarist and friend Johnny Lopez, aka Chappelle. He was the original 
guitarist along with James DeGangie and Will Kilmore. Okay. So a vast majority, with the exception of two songs being Aim for the Dead and Drop and Loads, which Steve Toth wrote, a vast majority of the material on um, Will Kilmore's first EP, uh, Over Humanity, was written by uh, Johnny, a.k.a. Chappelle. I call him Chappelle, so when you hear Chappelle, you know who I'm okay. talking about. So a lot of the material was written by Chappelle. Unfortunately, he did not get the writing credit that he deserved on those records. Oh. Um, at the time, I wasn't fully aware of who wrote what. Right. Uh, because I came into the fold when some of the songs were still kind of being written, or right, right. and we like when I came in, we kind of pieced them together and made them what they were. Um, but yeah, he actually had a huge part in writing a lot of those songs, and a lot of people like who followed that band really liked those songs. So he's a pretty good player. He's got great stage presence, and he's a fast learner. And above all else, he's a cool dude. Like, there's no ego to that kid whatsoever. He's very modest. He's very like. So much respect to him, yeah. and he's so nice. And I've always gotten along great with him. And I thought he got a rough deal because he was kind of fired from Will Kilmore by the founding guitarist James okay. over something stupid. Wow. Like everything happens for a reason. We ended up getting Steve Toth afterwards and got much bigger. But, but I always thought he got a raw deal. And so I like hit him up when I felt that I was ready to do it as a live band. So we started learning the material. Um, so I got him on board. Um, I guess I can announce that I have a drummer on board. I'm actually meeting with him tonight after this podcast. It's Zachy Ali, who was in Darkness Descends. Okay. And now he's working with uh, Jay, who plays with Angel Vivaldi. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jay's the other guitarist. So he's, they got, like, something going on. And Zachy's been posting, like, a ton of, like, solo drum videos of, like, him doing covers. Um, and I think the first one I saw of him do was uh, Bleed by Mashuga. Oh, nice. And I was like, oh, dude, Zachy's chops are on point now. Like, he was always a good drummer. Like, I always appreciated him and liked watching him live. And we shared a studio with him when I was in Julius Caesar, so I've known him for a long time. But I never really knew him, knew him. Right. And I didn't know, like, where his playing level was at until he started posting these videos, all these videos. And so he did the Mashuga cover. It was awesome. He did some stuff for some bands that he had been doing like session work for. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, his chops are on point now. Initially, I wanted to get Kyle from Julius Caesar because I thought, you know, he's a machine and I write my stuff very similar to how he plays. Um, probably naturally because I was in a band with him. Yeah, it's yeah. just where, you know, your head goes. Um, but I just knew I, knew I needed like a really, really reliable, solid drummer. It's crazy because I'm a drummer and I'm not playing you yeah. know, this stuff. But but I wrote the stuff, so I want to be on. I want to be in the front, either playing guitar or fronting it, singing. Yeah. So, I'm meeting with Zachy Ali tonight. Um, I'm hoping it's going to go well. I'm pretty confident it will be. Um, and so right now I have those two definitely in the fold. Um, and I just met with Eric DiCarlo of Square Up Studios yesterday to discuss um, the music video that we're going to be doing for the upcoming single, Atonement, and. Um, his whole thing was like, dude, you need to have a band backing you for this video. Yeah. He goes, I want you in front singing. I want you to be the front man. It's your voice. He goes, if you want to p- play guitar too, that's fine, but I really want you singing. Right. And like the way he sold it to me, like it made a lot of sense. And I was like, well, I already got these two in the fold because originally I was just going to do a music video where I was just like, like, how do you put together a music video when you wrote everything and performed everything yourself? Yeah, yeah. Like without it being cheesy and all about you, you know? So I was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. And then... He was like, no, man, just get the backing band teaching the song. So that's where we are right now. Um, I'm currently without a bassist. Um, so kind of scouring for a bassist. I have an idea as to like one or two people who might who might work. Um, and then 
Second guitarist is kind of up for grabs. I might play guitar and get a singer, but a lot of people are telling me that's a bad idea because I'm the voice on the records. Right, right. So to not hear that live is like, you're kind of like, anyone can play the guitar parts. Right. Um, unfortunately, I'm not that talented to be able to sing, scream, and play like all these riffs. Yeah. Like I'm not Alexei Layout. You know, <laughs> I just can't do it. So I might just get another guitar player or just have Chappelle maybe hit a harmonizing pedal occasionally. Mm. You know, I don't want to do backing tracks. I think that's lame. Yeah. I never subscribe to that. But we can make it work live with one guitarist if we need to. But I'd prefer to have two guitars. So right now, bassist, guitarists are kind of like second guitarists are in question. But by the time we do the music video, we should have that all sorted out. Cool. So uh, you said you don't, you don't know when you guys will be playing any shows. Uh, but I was wondering, whenever that is... Um, what would you be playing? Because I'm only aware of four songs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of I mean, material. I don't know if you right guys now. would do dip into other catalogs or do covers or. Yeah, I thought about that. I I mean, so right now we have the three singles that are out there: the new one, Atonement, coming out, um, which you got to hear. You're like one of like three people who've heard it. Oh, that's awesome. You liked it? I, I did really like it. I all really right. enjoyed it. But be it. honest, it, it sucked, dude. No, 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 no not at all. <laughs> He's like, it's awful. No, no. He's going to go home and tell his wife, dude, this guy needs to just retire from metal. No, <laughs> just no, give it up. no, 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 no. Um, no, I appreciate it. But um, No, if I thought that, I wouldn't have asked you to be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. But uh, yeah, I mean, we got the four songs, and then I figured... By the time we're ready to play live, I should have a fifth song written. I mean, I dude, I have thousands and thousands of riffs on my computer, on my phone. I literally, like, you see my apartment, there's, there's guitars everywhere. Yeah. So, like, I'm constantly playing. I as a, for, To be a drummer and a singer, all I do is play guitar. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been playing guitar since I'm, like, 10. So people don't know that, that I'm, like, pretty well accomplished at playing guitar. I'm not, like, a soloist by any means. I can't rip it up like, like Angel or, like, Jay. Um, but I hold my own with my rhythms and stuff. I yeah. like to think I'm, like the Hetfield <laughs> just riff riff guy yeah. you know just riff guy you know just constantly come up with riffs so I mean I can have another song written I actually have one almost in the bag now um, but right now the main focus is like getting these guys to learn the material for the music video yeah um, and then we're gonna start focusing on doing something uh, you know a live show but they, they're learning the material really fast so I'm not too concerned about it taking up a lot of time to get on the, on our feet but I figured maybe a couple songs like my original songs um, I wouldn't dip into like the Will Kilmore, Julius Caesar catalog or, or their past bands because that's not fair. Like if I was like the main songwriter, then maybe, but mm -hmm. like I was just like the lyricist and vocalist for Caesar and drummer for Kilmore. So, um, I figured we would do opening slot kind of things yeah, okay. right off the bat. Like short like, sets. Short set, 30 minutes, 40 minutes tops, like all the original material, maybe like one or two like really dope covers, but that are like outside the realm of metal. Yeah. Like, I don't want to cover, like, I love Kill Switch, right? But I'm not going to go and cover a Kill Switch song just mm -hmm. because I think it might get a reaction. Like, I want to cover something, like, more obscure, like, from the 80s or 90s, you know, and try to make it our own. Yeah. And then kind of build off of that. I actually would love to do, like, a Faith No More cover. Like, yeah, I really like I really like when, uh, like, metal bands cover, like, outside of the round, like, yeah. 80s songs or pop songs. Uh, Beyond Visible had a really great Bjork cover. that I Bjork? Like, yeah. Oh, wow. Wow, I'd have to listen to that. The Army of Me, I think the song was. I'll definitely have to check that out. I mean, have you ever listened to like when pop goes punk? Yes. Uh, or, yes oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's what's called. Or is it when or punk, punk goes, goes pop? pop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other way around. Yeah, like, yeah. There's a, there's some really cool stuff in there. Like a lot of people make fun of me because I don't know metal can be so elite 
oh, sometimes, yeah. you know, like the elitist mindset. But I listen to everything. I appreciate all forms of music. Like I'm wearing an At The Gates shirt with a Silverstein hoodie. Like people would rip into me for that. But I like all the styles, all genres. I like pop punk. I like um, post-hardcore. Um, but then obviously like I love jazz and blues and country and bluegrass. But I love those covers. Yeah. I think some of the pop stuff, like when it's got some balls behind it, it's so much better. Yeah. So much better than like the Z100 version. You know? Yeah, yeah. But. So you had uh, recently, I don't know how recent it was, within, within the last year or two, mm-hmm. uh, you had appeared on that Alex Becker Fallen Heroes track. Yeah, Alex Becker from Germany. What's up, Alex? So, and, and there was pretty big like metal names Heavy, yeah. on that track. Like, Heavy how hitters. did you get involved in that? Um, a lot of fellatio. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, a lot of fellatio. Uh, a lot of meetings in the men's rooms now. Um, <laughs> I actually, you know, just for having the Inflames connection for so many years, um, I had never once... So the guys in the band and the crew have been my friends for a long time. I was very fortunate to open up for them at a young age um, when, like, the metalcore movement had just started. It was I was actually in a band called Arbitrary out of, out of New York, and Relapse was looking to sign us. Uh, we just couldn't finish, couldn't finish our record because... As you know, with most metal bands, drugs and substance abuse take hold of a lot of the players, and uh, there were some issues with that at a very young age uh, with some of the players, and the band kind of fell apart at that point. Um, but before all that happened, when we were really kicking ass, I got to open up for In Flames on their second U.S. tour, and I became friends with Jesper and Anders and Bjorn and Daniel, but Peter wasn't on that tour. Okay. Peter Ewers, the bass player who just left In Flames, he wasn't on that tour. But then I met him on their next tour. And literally what happened was we played with them and I had asked some dude like straight up like, yo, you think, you know, he was like interviewing In Flames like you're doing with me. And so I went up to him and I was young. I was like, I was still in high school. I was like, dude, like this is like our favorite band, you know, like, yeah, because um, we've been following them since like Jester Race and Horacle. I was like, do you think they'll be able to like watch my band set? And the guy was like such a tool. And actually so much so that the guys in Inflames gave him the nickname The Hammer because he's the biggest tool in the toolbox. So he didn't really have any relation to the to the band or to the to the camp. He just was interviewing, but he like tried to make himself out to be something he wasn't because he had this exclusive access to the band. So he's like, I highly doubt it, man. Like they're real busy, you know, they're doing interviews with me all day, kind of thing. And I was like, All right, Dick, you know, and so we didn't really need to worry about that because we had, we played at Bay Ridge, uh, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at the old Lemoore, um, which I played there tons and tons of times with that band. That was kind of our scene. Like yeah. I was our home away from home. And so we play our set. And after the first song, the fucking crowd just erupted. Like there was probably, we had probably a good, like 200 kids there, like just for us. Like, and I know it's 200. You're like, yeah, that's not a lot of people, but like when you're, 16, 17 years old, yeah, yeah, opening up. You're like the only local band on a national tour, and you have like 200 heads there for you. And in all fairness, they're there for fucking inflames, yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, but like, but they're but they know your music and they're singing, and they're moshing, and they're headbanging. After the first song, the place erupts. All of a sudden, I see I'm playing drums in the band. Like right to the entrance of the stage, I see Jesper uh, peek his head through, and mm-hmm. then I see Anders peek his head through. They come up on stage. They sit behind the amps. Now I'm 16 years old. My favorite band and in the world Flames is, is watching Flames. you. <laughs> yeah, and now they're watching my band. And there's a there's a eight millimeter video or like a VHS of of the show 
where you see me, I'm playing drums where I look over to my left and all of a sudden they're sitting right next to me. Wow. And I literally just start screaming like, yeah, and I <laughs> shake my head. And, and my, then I, I yell to my singer, Joe, and I'm like, Joe, and he looks back. He's like, oh my God. And we just have like a total mark out moment where we're just freaked out. Um, so they were really impressed with the show, impressed with us. Um, we got to know them and then we saw them like maybe a month later or I don't even remember when. It was a very short time after that show. At CBGB's, they invited us to CBGB's, oh, wow. and they played with uh, Shadows Fall and Nevermore. Nice. And uh, they actually played with Dillinger Escape Plan on that tour at Skater World in New Jersey when it was when Dillinger was still like totally underground and like oh, wow. more of like a local band, and it was like a one night only show. Like the, mo- the the show was supposed to be at Rec Room, which was another venue that's closed in Jersey. Got moved to this place called Skater World. It was a skater rink with a stage set up and PA and everything and they last minute moved the show there just crazy time it was awesome but on that tour they played CBGB's and uh, Anders right before Bullet Ride says uh, this next song is dedicated to the band Arbitrary from now on you are welcome to all of our shows for free he's like this one's called Bullet Ride you know he kicks into it and I dude I held I held him to that like none of the other guys did like I held Anders to this day I held him to that to that promise like, what a dick I must be. Like, they're like, this goddamn kid keeps coming around the shows. I mean, and you show up, uh, didn't you recently go to Sweden and go yeah, to Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that, yeah. <laughs> but, like, so, like, it was such a long story to get to Alex Becker. But, you know, so Andrew says, we're welcome to come to the shows for free. And before the days of MySpace or the, like, Facebook or anything like that, I had to go and buy a ticket to, like, a show to then wait for them to see me when they're on stage in the crowd yeah. to then invite me backstage like, which would always happen. Like, I'd be in the crowd, and, like, Peter or Jesper would see me rocking out, and then they'd be like, Charlie, like, and they'd motion for me to go to the side of the stage. Yeah. Which, in that point, they're one of their crew guys. It was usually Biffin, or actually, it was at the time, it was Victor, who was on Motorhead's road crew um, for a long time. Victor would then bring me around to the stage, and I'd get to, like, watch the band from the side of the stage. Then we'd hang out after, go on the bus, go out for drinks. Yeah. So... That became the norm every time they were in town until we got to a point where we can stay in contact better. Yeah. Once technology caught up, then it was easy. And then they were just like, all right, um, what shows are you coming to? Your, you know, your, your stuff's at will call. Your credentials are there. Yeah. So then they started letting me just backstage like all the time, which was really amazing. They didn't have to do that. Yeah. They could have just said, here's your ticket, kid. Yeah. But um, we had gotten really close because I'd go and see him, let's say, in New York. And then they would invite me to Philly, to Connecticut to wherever else they were playing and so I'd follow them around and I actually did like a documentary for college like I was doing TV production so I filmed them and interviewed them and did like yeah it was a really cool time that was during like um, the sounds of uh, no no which one was it that's what the hell record was that Uh, it was the one right after it was Reroute to Remain okay so during that tour is when things started really getting active with me and being friends with them so Fast forward, I'm friends with them after all these years, and because of that, uh, people start seeing that. F- fans of Inflames start seeing that on the internet, um, yeah. and other musicians start seeing that. Now I'm getting hooked up with more uh, Gothenburg guys, like Peter's brother, uh, Anders, who plays bass for Dark Tranquility. He was in Tiamat. He's like my friend now. So now, all of a sudden... This dude, Alex Becker, who runs Motor Headphones. So, like, you know how there's Beats? Dr. Dre has Beats Headphones. Well, in Europe, like, the cool big thing for a while was these Motorhead headphones. Like, I had the Motorhead logo on it. They're studio-quality headphones. You had to put, like, an awesome, like, 
jack into the headphones yeah, to yeah. like run it. Um, they're great quality speakers. And so he was running that and he had an online like app called Rock, uh, Rock Science, which was like a game. It was like a rock and metal trivia game oh, okay. for, for your phone. So he was friends with Jesper from Inflames who had departed from Inflames for personal reasons. Um, but I just had gotten to know him through social media and through the connections I had. And I don't know what happened, but Jesper was trying to put together a solo project as well. And he asked me if I wanted to sing with him and, or sing on the project. I said, sure. Uh, but that, that never came to light. But then like the next day, Alex Becker hit me up. Um, and he was in a band called Clawfinger from, from Germany. And he hit me up and asked me to sing on this track. So I just thought it was his track. So I sang on it. And then all of a sudden he's hitting me up telling me that he has Bjorn from Inflames on the track. He has Jesper from Inflames on the track. It's the, one of the only times they've collaborated since That's Jesper's since departure. The but they didn't really collaborate. It was more like they just both did their own thing. Yeah. But they're still on the but track still, together. Um, yeah. Right. Then you had Mark Rizzo from Soulfly Cavalera Conspiracy. Yeah. He's from New Jersey. I yeah, just, it used to be in El Nino. Yeah, he was in El, El Nino for a while. And um, so he's a freaking virtuoso. Yeah, he's yeah. insane. Um, so Mark Rizzo's on it. Then Anders from Dark Tranquility, Tiamat the Bassist, he's on it. Um, then he actually had Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top do like a like a spoken word at the end. But for whatever reason, it got cut. I think their label, like Billy's label or management said legally he can't do it or something. Wow. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I hate that. Shit. Yeah, but the song was dope as hell because yeah. it was just like a tribute to all the fallen heroes of rock and metal, like all the guys who died, the, yeah. the Lemmy, the Princes, the David Bowies. The, so... And then Till from Rammstein did the yeah did yeah the and that's the most badass part is Till from Rammstein like did the artwork which is like this crazy baby like like statue with like like a gun and like a needle yeah, in its yeah. head or something yeah, yeah. it was like so weird like it's so Till you know <laughs> um, but like to be involved in this project with all these like superstars and I'm here I am like the local guy still hasn't quite made it you know yeah yeah but um it was it was a freaking honor man and it was actually just recently I saw Mark Rizzo after a kill switch show uh we, we saw a kill switch in an anthrax where was that that was uh dude i never remember where shows are anymore i'm just like yeah i was there either, <laughs> either newark or montclair oh it was montclair right montclair so i saw him and derek from 40 below after the show and derek invited me and my girlfriend back to his studio and i was just talking to uh to rizzo and he's like he's like wait yeah i saw something you're you're on that single with me, right? Like he was, and none of us had even like, I had listened to it, but like a lot of the guys who did it hadn't even heard it or even <laughs> knew who, like none of us knew, like he's like, dude, I didn't even know Bjorn was on the single until like you just told me. Like that's, he's like, wait, that's insane. Like I was like, yeah, dude, Till did the artwork and everything we just talked about. Yeah. And he's just like, holy shit. <laughs> like, you know, like this is pretty insane. But um, I think Alex had plans to do something bigger with it, just never got a chance to do it. Uh, he's a very busy man. He's yeah. always traveling the world. Um, but it's there, it's recorded, it's dope. I wish there would have been some more production on my vocals. Mm. They're raw as fuck. Like, if you want an honest representation of how I sound live, listen to that to that song. It's raw. It's as honest as it gets. And I, I like it. I like it. I think if Lemmy was alive, he might appreciate it. One of my <laughs> biggest influences. That's awesome, dude. Now, I can't, I can't sit down with you and not mention wrestling. Yeah. Um, what you gonna do, brother? <laughs> so, uh, first things first, just because I went there with, with Chris on the last show... Uh, what do you think about 
about the, the current brand split because I kind of gave up on the product when I heard they were doing that. I was yeah. like, I can't do well, this Well, there again. was the brand split one. Did you give up the first time? No, no, I'm talking like now. This recent, this recent, recent brand split. Yeah. After after the last one, I didn't really care for the way the last one was handled. I thought it started out okay yeah. having one set of titles, but then when they had double of everything, yeah, this yeah. is fucking stupid. And so I was like, I was a month or two behind on WWE and trying to catch up through mm-hmm. Hulu and through WWE Network. And then they had announced... <laughs> okay, we're brand splitting again. And I'm like, keep well, up. all right, but as long as they don't d- double every title, oh, we're doubling every title. All right, fuck this. I'm not watching anymore. <laughs> yeah. Which, which uh, you know, Chris Babbitt had told me that maybe that was a mistake and that SmackDown's been really good, but what do you think? Yeah, SmackDown has been really good. SmackDown's been good since the initial brand split. Uh, my whole take on it is I think anything that stirs things up and creates people, causes people to talk like we are right now is good for the business. Like, right off the bat. Like, because, I, I mean, I come from a mentality of what's good for, like, the wrestling business and, like, not just... Yeah, I'm, like, the ultimate wrestling mark. Like, you look at my apartment, I have, like, old-school yeah, wrestling figures, figures everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, like, <laughs> and I have my title belts, you know? Yeah. Like, I think the only metal dude who's probably a bigger wrestling mark than me is probably Mike D at Killswitch. Oh, like, really? he, Yeah, dude. He actually had a whole podcast done right after... I think it was right after Mania where he talked about uh, Mania and, and wrestling. But, um... I think it's good. First off, I think it, it creates people to talk. There's so much new talent in that company, and they're all so young, and they've all done, a lot of them have done amazing things in Ring of Honor and on the indies, and they've been known about for a long time by yeah, like yeah. hardcore wrestling fans, that you're not going to have a ton of really bad matches. Do I think they push some of the wrong people? Absolutely. Some of the wrong people are getting the push, in my opinion, like Jinder Mahal. What, why are they even utilizing him? Like... Why is he? I don't know. Like, what? What's the? Yeah, I heard, what's the payoff? I, I heard he's a contender for the title now. Yeah, where did that come from, <laughs> dude? Where did that come from? You had Finn Balor come back and he's gone again. Like, like you know, oh, did like, he get hurt again? Like, gender, like I don't know if it was a work, like in the wrestling business, a work we call is when something's like, uh, is it was it real or was it like planned? You know, yeah, like, yeah. a shoot is when it's real, a work is when it was planned. So I don't know if it was a work. I just broke kayfabe there. I'm gonna get killed later, but um, I don't know if if it was a planned thing and they're just pretending that he's hurt to have some kind of cool comeback, hmm. like to give him a, to give him a story. Yeah. yeah. But I also haven't been following the last like two or three weeks okay. either. I've been so tied up with the, with the silencer project and, and actually the wrestling that I'm involved in. Cause I'm involved in, um, the MFPW and factory Fridays and the monster factory in Paulsboro with, um, Danny cage who runs it. And, uh, uh, Luis Martinez, punishment Martinez, who's a ring of honor, uh, guy. Um, actually, you know Matt Riddle. I know Matthew the name. Riddle. He's like, he's like the indie god right now, like of pro wrestling. Um, he actually came from UFC. He was on like a four fight winning streak, and UFC fired him. That, that for, might be where for I know the name weed. from. Yeah, dude's like no joke. Like he and he's revolutionizing the way wrestling is seen and how it and how wrestlers work. Mm-hmm. He's changing the game. Like he won't take whips into the rope. Like when you like if you're a wrestler, you go to whip him into the rope. He stops it. He stops you dead in the tracks, and he does some crazy kick or like some crazy submission hold. He's badass, dude. So he's trying to make it more of a shoot fight, which is awesome. But I'm been so busy like concentrating on the roster at the Monster Factory and all the talent and the students that are coming up there. I do color commentary for uh, their Factory Friday shows, and I just did my first show uh, for the MFPW, which is their main show. Um, Factory Friday is kind of like 
uh, their experimental or developmental, developmental stage, right? Yeah, okay. So they like the, the NXT. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. But we can also get away with a lot of stuff. It's like an eighteen and older crowd. Okay. So, but like I still try to keep it relatively PG thirteen, because my end goal would be like WWE or Ring of Honor, where like that stuff does, isn't called. You can't get away with that. Yeah, yeah. So I still try to keep it relatively clean. But like I just was able to do my first real show with them, like like bigger show. And that was an honor. And um, I've just been, I have to be so educated on the talent there yeah. and know their backstories and know their finishing moves and know their origins. And just, I have to know that product so much that now I'm finding that I'm I'm not paying attention to WWE as much. Right, right. Um, which sucks because I, I do love the company. Um, but uh, since Mania, I kind of dropped off. Yeah. Which kind of happens, I think, that happens with me every season, every year. Right after Mania, I'm good for like the first week or two. Then I take a break. Yeah. And then I revisit like a month or two later and say, all right, where's everything? But during the brand, the brand split, I was paying attention. And I think that it's good. I think it's really good because now you can have some pretty sick matchups. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to see AJ Styles go to Raw. I would have loved to see that because I want to see like a Seth Rollins AJ. Yeah. I want to see, um, I want to see Nakamura AJ thing happen. That'd be f- amazing. You know, I want to, I want to revisit some of the stuff that the Indies and New Japan and Ring of Honor saw. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but you know, we'll see what happens. They, they do so. The company does so many weird things that you're just like, why? Yeah. Why would you do that? There's no reason. Right. To... Like I heard that uh, on on I think Raw yesterday there was supposed to be a dumpster match. Yeah, I heard about that. I did <laughs> again. Like I've been so busy. Like I was with the music director all all afternoon and evening. I didn't even get to see that. No, I mean I didn't either. But just just the the, the concept of that is is exactly what you said. Like what the fuck. Although why? I gotta say I love Braun Strowman. People are going to be like, oh, really, dude? You're one of those guys? I love Braun Strowman. It's hysterical. First off, he's huge, yeah. and he's legit a strongman. Like, I would never want to mess with Braun Strowman. Like, there's guys on their roster that I'd have no problem getting in their face. Yeah. You know, like, I used to I used to wrestle, and I'd have no problem, like, doing work with them. Braun Strowman scares me. <laughs> he scares me. He's huge. But, like, of course, Vince McMahon always has a hard-on for the big guys, and he's, like, he works well. He can move. He's athletic. Um, and then what I thought was just hysterical, did you see when he strapped Roman Reigns down and pushed him off, like, the ledge of, like, I think I saw some pictures of that, yeah. Like, he pushed him off of, like, um, he was, like, strapped down to a gurney, and then he pushed that whole cart and gurney off of, like, a ledge that was, like, a story up or something, (laughs) and then they go to commercial, they're doing their thing on Raw, it's, like, multiple segments in the show, so he starts off backstage, he finds Roman, he's like, I told you I'd find you, and then he beats the (laughs) hell out of him. And then he and like he slams like like a road case. He slams it like Roman's like face or something. It was hysterical. Then he then they, they strap down Roman. They put him on the gurney and they're gonna like wheel him out to an ambulance. And then he like takes that and then like like pushes it off of a ledge. And then like Roman Reigns was flying. Now they get him into the next segment. It's like they keep doing segments. It's amazing. Now he's all of a sudden he's stuck in an ambulance. <laughs> oh my god! And Braun Strowman comes in. He just starts pounding on Roman Reigns and beating him up inside the ambulance, slams the door, and then the guy t- picks up an ambulance truck and tips it over. <laughs> like, if that's not the most ridiculous, funny thing in the world, like, that's hysterical to me. And he's just like, I told you I'd get you. I told you. <laughs> like, Braun's hysterical. Like, to me, that's amazing. That's cooler than, like, Kane and the Inferno stuff and burning JR. Like, to me, that was, like, the most badass moment. Like, I suspend disbelief as a wrestling fan. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's why I watch it. I want to escape from reality. I want to escape from the stresses of normal everyday living or, or or turn my mind off. That's why I watch it. And it's 
as far back as I can remember being like five years old, that's all I ever really loved aside mm -hmm. from music was wrestling. So like I'm always hooked on it, but it's just the last couple of weeks I've been, I haven't really, really been following like I should have. Um, but the brand split is going to be pretty dope. It's going to happen again and again. New guys, guys are going to get injured. They're going to pull guys from SmackDown to Raw. It's, yeah. you know, it's just to get people talking. It's to stir things up. It's really for publicity more than anything, I think. I think it's kind of a dick, though, that they split up Rusev and Lana. Oh, Because yeah. they're married. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, like that, I heard that they, they were... WWE was pissed about that happening. Like, them, like, they knew where they were together, but they... There was they were feuding at the time. She was, I believe, Dolph Ziggler, yeah, and then and yeah. then TMZ announces that they were engaged, and WWE yeah. was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the one. My one, my one beef with the company, and I first off, my dream would be to work in that company in some capacity. I would never, I never talk down about the company. Yeah. I understand why they do things and what their reasons are, but it does bother me that sometimes they get too involved in per people's personal affairs. Yeah. Or they get almost like too offended or too hurt by what people are doing with their lives yeah. and how it might affect their business. Like, I would want my talent and I'd want my workers to be, like in any company, to be as comfortable and as happy as they can be. Um, it, wrestling is different. It's entertainment. It's it's a circus. You know, it's a traveling circus. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a, even though they're a corporate entity, the product itself isn't a corporate gig. Yeah, like yeah. you as a wrestler, you're not a corporate guy. You know, like the ring crew aren't corporate guys. Like, so, if you were in a corporate setting and you started dating like Sally, the fax machine lady, like all of a sudden there might be a conflict of interest and the company might get worried and like how is that that chemistry going to spill over into your work environment? And I can understand WWE worrying about that, but these people don't see their family, their friends for 200 plus days a year. So naturally they're gravitated towards each other. You have a locker room full of like smoking hot chicks and like buff dudes. Like yeah. they're going to naturally mingle and, and, and get to know each other on yeah. multiple levels as we saw in the page video. <laughs> <laughs> but I you, wonder if that's going to be a running thread through every episode. Oh uh, yeah. Right? <laughs> because, uh, yeah, it was in the last one. Yeah, yeah your last, that's right. It, sh it better be. Uh, you just got to keep interviewing dudes who know about wrestling. <laughs> Although I would really like to see a Lana video. Oh my God. But you know, I mean like they're naturally gravitated towards each other. So to, if they get together, like they're not separating Cena and, and Bella. Right. Right. Like, they're not separating them into two separate brands and like they, they're letting them stay connected at the hip as much. But then again, John's very independent. He goes and does his thing, comes yeah. back to her. But um, I just didn't like that. I was like, man, because I like them as a couple. I don't know if, did you see the... Um, well, that's like when they first called up uh, Enzo and Kaz and then they did Carmella. And they didn't call up Carmella yeah. and then when they did, she was on the other show. She's on the other show. And now, yeah, she's with Cass yeah. in real life, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 tricky. I mean, I guess they're going to do whatever they think is best for the business and the brand. But I don't think having Lana on her own does anything for anybody right now. Mm. Her her money's with with Rusev. Yeah. Like, did you see the Southpaw wrestling stuff that they released? I I saw that it like I I saw links to it. I didn't watch it though. Please watch it. Okay. It's the best like half hour of your life. All if right. you're a wrestling fan, they basically just do this like spin-off of like an old indie promotion that was like a territory promotion from the 80s. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it's on VHS, like VHS tape. Like yeah. Fandango is hysterical. He just plays a commentator with uh, John Cena. <laughs> and, but he's like an alcoholic. He's kind of like a Ron Burgundy when he's been hitting the sauce too hard. Yeah, yeah. Dude, the characters are insanely funny. And in there is Rusev and Lana. And they have like one segment on this show because they're like five minute uh, skits. Yeah. Or three and a half or five. Yeah, I think they're about five minutes. 
and the Rusev Lana stuff was just hysterical. Like it's so funny that Rusev's laughing in the take, and they just like he's trying, he's holding <laughs> in his laughter, and they leave it in because you know that's like the best thing when you yeah. see that. Like on Saturday Night Live when Jimmy Fallon was trying not to laugh, like you would laugh even more, you know. So it's like kind of one of those deals. Yeah, or like always, uh, Bill Hader when he did Stefan, he always yeah. fucking broke it. Right? Yeah, 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 always, always breaking. Right? And like that makes it even funnier. But that if you watch Rusev and Lana. Like they have like their occasionally they do their own like little YouTube thing on their own uh-huh. like these little skits or they'll put it on social media, they're really fucking funny together. Like I mean, like hysterical, like right. to uh, like I was like, dude, why are you splitting them up? Yeah, like they're they were badass when he was just like a machine and just annihilating people, and she was just like super strict Russian chick coming out. And then they kind of loosened the characters up a little bit, yeah. and that was cool. I think they should have kept them together. That's the one thing I was not happy about with the brand split. Mm. Yeah. They did a lot of splitting up of stuff last time too, like the original brand split. They split up the Dudley. They split up like every right. tag team, right? And put yeah. them on separate shows. But uh, so you mentioned a bit your work with with Monster Factory. How did yeah. you get involved with them? How did you get involved um, in it being in the business? As in the business, yeah. Um, well, it's a long journey, but I'll I'm always telling long stories. It's just in my nature. So yeah, we're already uh, over like an six, hour, but that's six hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, it's like yes, it's tomorrow. Um, but yeah, so. After I'd left my one band, Arbitrary, that I'd opened up for In Flames and had all, like, this, like, regional success, like, as a young group, um, I got very frustrated because I really thought that was my meal ticket. Yeah. Um, we were really doing great. And my whole outlook was like, you know what? When you're in a band, you have to rely on four or five other guys to help get you to the top, to, get, to help get you to your goal. Right. Now, if any of those falter anyone in that group falters at any particular time you're susceptible to to that damage like yeah, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna hinder your progress so I'd always loved wrestling like I said and me and my best friend uh, Luis who's Punishment Martinez in Ring of Honor all we ever did was talk about wrestling we always carried ourselves as wrestlers like I was 330 pounds at the time um, he was pretty up there too like he's like 6'5 you know I'm only 6 foot but I was huge yeah. Uh, but not jacked. I was fat as hell. <laughs> but I always wanted to wrestle. And we used to like have like back, not backyard matches, but like we'd get like a little drunk and like wrestle in his living room or like at, we'd be at a party. The big thing is we would just choke slam people, <laughs> like choke slam them into bushes and into like couches. And like we choke slam someone like practically through their floor once at a party. We used to just like crash parties because we were big. Yeah. And we'd be like, listen, we'll be your security for all the assholes. Like we'll make sure, like we'll throw anyone out. And the girls would be like mortified. Like, like, but I don't even know you. You're like a, you're, you're coming in with a trench coat and long hair. You look like Silent Bob, but like who could kill me, you know? <laughs> and then like Luis is like a huge Puerto Rican dude. Like, you know, we're all tatted up. We're like 18. We've got fresh tats, you know? Like, yeah. But we would, we would, they would let us be in these parties. And like when the girls or whoever were throwing the party didn't want people in the house anymore, we'd kind of like bounce them out, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. But we'd be like, but listen, like we have our own beer, but we might drink some of yours if that's okay. But we'll like, we'll take care of things. Crazy enough, as soon as we got drunk, we would just act like the biggest idiots. And like I said, like we would just we'd destroy people's houses by wrestling. Like me and Luis would like start breaking chairs over each other's heads and like like I said, choke slam people through like certain like I don't know, certain garden fixtures outside and it was amazing. It was really fun. But we had always talked about wrestling and I had known about uh, Pretty Boy Larry Sharp and the Monster Factory for years. Bam Bam Bigelow had trained there. All the dudes from ECW, Raven, Chris Candido, um, they were from there. Godfather, Big Show, uh, worked with Pretty Boy Larry Sharp. Um, 
the list goes on and on. The Pitbulls, um, just so many names, so many names. Uh, X Pac had done work with them, One Two Three Kid. So I had known about them for years, and this was back like, when you had to really search the internet, like to find something. And there was only a handful of like reputable schools at the time. Yeah. Now there's a lot more, but like at the time, and it was very protective and very secretive. Yeah. Um, and so I had found their website. And it was like such like old website. Web yeah, design yeah. was like awful. Like the flash was just like never working, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but there was a number to contact, and I would call like every day, and like I would never get an answer. Finally, one day, like someone answered. They're like, "If you want to try out, it's like fifty dollars or twenty dollars, whatever the money was to, yeah. to try out. Be here on this day and time." Like that was it, kind of deal. So I told Luis, I was, and it was like three grand to sign up for the school, um, and he was like bouncing at the time. And um, I think I might have been bouncing too. I don't remember what I was doing for work. But I ended up bouncing to make ends meet so that I can go to college, be a wrestler, and still like do metal. It was a crazy yeah. time. So he's like, yeah, dude, let's just do it. Like, let's fine, let's go down. Let's just at least try out. And we get there. It's not even a wrestling ring. It's a boxing ring that's like cement. It's like bolted into the ground. Huh. This was really old school. So basically their mentality back in the day was they were going to break you. Like you hear Hulk Hogan talk about this all the time. Like they wanted to like... They wanted you out of the business before you could even get in. Yeah. Because they wanted to separate the strong from the weak. Like, did you really want this or you just think you want it kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. And if you left, well, then they got $3,000 in your money and they never have to worry about you again. Yeah, Easy, yeah. fast cash, you know? But if you stuck around long enough and you were dumb enough to keep getting slammed in that ring, <laughs> well, then, you know, you're paying your dues and now you got some respect or whatever. So I started doing that and... You know, I had some family stuff happen, like my grandmother who raised me passed away. My mom passed away like like a year and a half, two years after that. Um, and I was kind of reevaluating where my life was going because like I'm a small guy, even though I'm big by most standards, I'm really small by wrestling standards. I'm six foot. Um, when I'm in my best shape, I barely break 200 pounds. When I'm a little out of shape, I'm like 230. Mm -hmm. But I'm not like the standard wrestling type. Um, and my body was just getting broken down being in that ring and training like the wrong way and not learning things properly. Like they were trying to break me and trying to break my friend. Now you not to not to cut him, but you had said that at one point you were like three thirty. Did you yeah. get in shape before you started training or did you start training as a fat guy? Um, I was still fat when I started training, but I lost like I think like sixty or seventy pounds just because I knew like I basically told so Luis moved out to Florida. He moved out of New York and moved to Florida and we would still talk all the time. I went down to visit him and I was like, All right, we're gonna do this. So I gave myself from the time that he was in Florida to when he came back to start getting in shape. And the show Tough Enough had just come on MTV. Yeah, yeah. So I was getting really inspired by watching that, like seeing how these people trained and how, how, the, how the wrestling coaches would get on the fat guys even more. Like, you fucking worthless. Like, you know, like, like yeah. get in shape. So I was like, man, if I want to really try to make this a reality, I better start getting into good shape and start getting athletic. So I started, when I got to the camp, when I got to the school, I was still relatively out of shape. Um... But I could run the ropes really well. That was the one thing they said I did well. Like, I couldn't do anything else. Like, I couldn't take a back bump. I couldn't flip over. Like, the big thing is you're supposed to be able to do, like, a standing flip over your head or then do, like, a handstand into, a, like, a flip yeah, onto yeah. your back. I couldn't do any of that. But I was able to run the ropes really well. And they saw something. They were like... Because they didn't let everyone in, you yeah. know? Like, they they saw something. They were like, all right, this you might have something, but you need a lot of work. Yeah. And so we would drive down to South Jersey, like... Four, it was exit three off the turnpike so it was like a two and a half hour drive it's like basically going to Philly and uh, we would drive down there like four times a week 
just to train for three hours. Sometimes we get stuck in traffic and only make it for the last half hour of training. Oof. And they wouldn't even stay later for us. You know, yeah. it's like, sorry, kid, you missed your you missed your window. Inevitably, the Monster Factory got bought, um, got taken over by Danny Cage, who was a former student there and trained in that same shitty ring that we trained in. And um, I guess pretty boy Larry Sharp, who had initially owned the school and ran it for all those years, um, kind of got sick. Unfortunately, he just passed away. So um, this this past month, like a couple, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So um, that's really sad when I heard that. But. Danny took it over and has since made it like what the performance center is yeah. and how NXT is. He's got the two rings, he's got the crash pads, he's got the padded floors to learn on, and they're training just like they do at the performance center. He actually got called down or called them and was invited down to the performance center and got to learn how they teach their talent. Because right. his whole argument was, if you want our talent, they're never going to get to that level if I don't know how to teach them. Right, right. It's like, don't think of it, don't think of it as you giving away all your secrets. Think of it as you teaching me so I could prepare them mm-hmm. for you investing in the yeah. industry and then when he when he said that to them they were like oh shit alright this guy's onto something and so he's been doing really well at the school but yeah I told me I told Luis I was like we need to do this so we did the tryout he was awesome he was like a million bucks right off the bat I sucked <laughs> uh, but I got better and, and as I kept going I started losing more and more weight like I said I was there four hours a, uh, four days a week usually plus I was going to school full time as a college student and I was bouncing on the weekends. I was just like, my body was constantly going and I was working out every day. Yeah. So by the time I left wrestling, I was in the best shape of my life. Like I was like a, like maybe a buck 95, like, like 32 waist, like huge freaking upper body, you know, like I, I was looking like a million bucks, but um, my body just couldn't handle it like some other people. Like I had a lot of injuries really quickly. Yeah. Like my neck, my shoulder, I already had a bad knee going into it. I had like a bad ACL that was ripped. Actually, it's gone. The, the, what, the, my left ACL is torn in half. Oof. So I used to have to wear like that Stone Cold Steve Austin knee brace, brace. the reconstructed knee brace to wrestle. So right off the bat, like the odds were against me physically. But um, I'll tell you what, man. Nothing taught me more work ethic. Nothing taught me how to be a, like a man and to not make excuses and to like get my ass up and get to work more than wrestling. My father didn't raise me. He wasn't there for my childhood. Like, he was a weekend warrior kind of guy. I saw him. Then he moved out to South Jersey and uh, when I was little, and I only saw him, like, once a month kind of deal. So I never had that, like, predominant male figure, like, being an authority, like, telling me to when to shut up and just do work, you know? Yeah. And so being at the Monster Factory really, really instilled that in me. And that actually carried over to all my business and working when I was in bands. So, like, I couldn't tolerate when people, like, had an excuse to not do something. Right. Like, I remember being like, dude, come on. Like, really? Like, stop making this excuse. Like, oh, your foot hurts? Really? Like, pick up your amp. You know, like, <laughs> like, like, it was a tough, that was a toughness that was instilled in me from then. And yeah. to this day, dude, my boy Luis, he's still killing it, man. He's been championing multiple uh, indie federations and promotions. And like I said, he's like a big star in Ring of Honor now. He just had his, like, debut in uh, Hammerstein Ballroom. Um, like he's not his debut for Ring of Honor but his debut at Hammerstein Ballroom last month I was so proud of him seeing that like that was huge you know it's like ECW style yeah 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 Yeah. so you do commentary now right you have no choice but to listen to the voice (laughs) of the one and only Chaz Williams you know it the single greatest color commentator in the history of all professional wrestling (laughs) that's awesome yeah yeah. how did you come up with the name Uh, my middle name is William oh okay first name's Charles my dad was always called Chaz Occasionally he'd fuck around with me, call me Chaz, so I just made a Chaz with a Z instead of an S, and uh, my wrestling name was uh, Chaz Williams. 
you know, I had Chaz the Beast Williams. Okay. I, I was kind of like a rhino character. Okay. Like I had the black singlet, long hair. And so I just, when that happened, I just said, I'm not going to change my name. I like the Chaz Williams gimmick. Plus, I like the fact that Stone Cold Steve Austin is Steve Williams. So that was another tie-in. I was like, cool, I can be... Well, I think he's legally changed his name. Did he, did he legally change yeah. it? Like Warrior? Yeah, like Warrior. He's just legally changed a lot, a lot of people did that yeah. uh, for different... Ryback is legally Ryback. I know, I know. Ryback. Test, uh, when he was alive, he, he away, changed yeah. his, his middle name to Test. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I should legally change my name to Chaz Williams. <laughs> but like, uh, but yeah, it's my middle name. And so it was just it was just easy. And it sounds old school. Yeah, yeah. Like, I like that it's old school. And Steve Austin's real name was Williams. Yeah. So... I was a kind of an ode to him as well. That's cool. Yeah. So have you done any, um, have you made any music for wrestlers, like entrance themes or anything? Um, well, my yeah, my friend, again, Punishment Martinez, he's used my last single, Solitary's Lupus, as his entrance theme. And um, I actually had to sign a bunch of releases for Ring of Honor uh, for him to use my music. But then they put him in an angle with Kevin Sullivan and BJ Whitmore, um, where he was like in this really like Undertaker-esque evil faction uh-huh. and so they had him coming out to this like really droney boring like like scary music you oh, know? okay like, just was more like undertones and and all yeah. <laughs> um but whenever he does indie shows and he does factory monster factory shows um he comes out to solitary lupus my last single which is awesome because i was actually just with with him in buffalo for um empire state uh pro wrestling or empire state wrestling and uh they have a really good promotion out there i was really surprised but um i didn't know this but He's bitching to me. He's like, oh my God. Like, he's like, I forgot all my merch. So all of his merch that he had to sell that night, he forgot. And I was going to sell merch for him that day. So we had to go to like Staples or something and get like eight by 12s of him printed out, which I got to say, I would make the best manager in the world. Cause I made him, I made that dude like a buck 50 or a buck 60 just by selling eight by tens for him all night. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's pretty sick. Like had he had his shirts and everything, he would have made a killing. Um, but then he's like, he was had like a back brace on because he screwed up his back, so he didn't want to come out like with no shirt on. So he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna wear a t-shirt in the ring tonight." I was like, "Oh, that's so indie of you. Like, don't <laughs> like you're like you're in sick shape. Like, why?" He's like, "Oh, I'm hurt." He's like, "What shirt should I wear?" He had like a Jason Voorhees shirt and then some other shirt. I was like, "Well, where's like your shirt? Like the Punishment shirt? Wear that." He's like, "Yeah, I don't know. We'll see." So all of a sudden he comes out. I hear my music hit, which I didn't know he was coming out to. So like I'm like just happen to be taping him and I hear my my single hit so I freak out I mark out and then I see him come out and he's wearing the shirt I just gave him the silencer with the owl on it nice and um I was like or no he may have actually worn the Skeletor one no I think it was the owl one but he whatever he wore a silencer shirt and I freaked the I just freaked out and and then at the end like when the music like went off he's like up on the turnbuckle I was like yell like nice shirt you know and we have this like thing that he's part of this group called the Real Life Heels. Uh, it's him, QT Marshall, who's done work for Ring of Honor, NXT, and now Impact Wrestling, who's actually also just opening a Monster Factory-style school out in, in South Carolina um, called One Fall Wrestling. Um, so they have a group with QT Marshall and Matthew Riddle, who I was telling you about from UFC, yeah. like the king of the indies. Matthew Riddle is no joke. Check him out. They had this group called the Real Life Heels because they were all training at the Monster Factory, so it was just the three of them. And now he did this hand gesture. It kind of looks like a peace sign, but instead of like, like folding your middle, uh, your pinky finger and your ring finger behind the thumb, you stick it out. So it almost looks like some kind of weird bird or something. <laughs> so like we, but you wolf pack it. You know, you yeah, too yeah. sweet it. Like you connect with the yeah, two, yeah. and we do this kind of thing. Uh, now it's something that Luis created when we were in high school, and me and him had been doing it for years. We were going to be the new blood. That was going to be our tag team, and then he carried it over to the real life heels. 
without my permission, I might add. <laughs> you know, he created it, kind of like, you know, you kind of inherit it, yeah. part of the ownership, because yeah, you've yeah. been doing it for so long. Um, so, like, we always throw that to each other. You know, we yeah. too sweet each other, but with the real-life heel sign. And uh, I saw that. I was like, I was on cloud nine. I was That's like, awesome, you asshole. <laughs> like, you, you held the back the whole night. What a surprise. <laughs> so you've also done, uh, you did some music for, for a TV show. Yeah, I did. I did a theme song for a reality TV show that was on the History Channel called uh, Where are the Fagawis, yep. um, which was based on a motorcycle, an MC club based out of the Hudson Valley here in New York. And um, the, I guess the whole premise of the show was supposed to be that they were a bike club, but they were like, they were kind of wise asses, but they were, they were helping people out in the community. They were helping rebuild things. Someone had a problem at their house, the badass bikers roll up to the house and fix the plumbing or like, yeah. you know, like um, our local uh, minor league baseball stadium needed a stage for bands to play on. So they went and they built the stage and then there's just supposed to be them because they're a bunch of goombas really they're a bunch of like most of them like most of the stars are like just these italian goombas like mm -hmm. like where's the cheese at you know like like <laughs> in one episode they break into rockland bakery and like get like bread for the italian dinner <laughs> then another one they go to a wine and cheese tasting uh uh thing and and but instead of them being like all like yuppied out they're in their cuts you know their motorcycle yeah. cuts with their patch on and they're like cursing and just being like kind of slobbish, you know, <laughs> but, um, so I was able to write the theme song for that. Um, I called it the ride of your life. It's actually available, I think on iTunes. It's still on Amazon. Yeah. I, I found it there last night. Yeah. It's not my, it's not like my proudest moment as a musician. It's like, it's really no frills laid back. I kind of did like the Southern twang thing on it, like with like a, a little bit of a rock feel to it. I kind of, when I was writing, it, I was thinking along the lines of like clutch meets, like new style like country rock you know like like and it was more just about it being catchy and mm -hmm. simple um the only the reason i say i'm not like super proud of it is only because the production is not that great on it i like was really rushed to get it done they were like yeah we need it like tomorrow kind of thing and i was like what so like i literally had it was like not tomorrow but i had like a week to write it send them the demo they're like cool now we need it in like three days and I ran, like, all the studios are booked. Like, yeah, I use Kevin Entrezian a lot from Dillinger, yeah. Backroom Studios. Um, I couldn't get to him. Like, he was booked solid. And so my friend Anthony Scott DePuerto from a &S Studios, who had done the original Will Kilmore uh, or The Humanity and had also done The Silencers, Discovery of the Lost Cause, was an easy go-to. He's usually got some time open. Yeah. He's a very busy guy, but he's usually accommodating with me. So I was like, dude, I'm writing, a, I wrote a song for a TV show. I got to, like record all the parts and perform them, uh, you know. So I did that. I think if you listen, like, closely at the end, the, like, we didn't even do the drums to a click. Like, I was just so, like, in the moment, like, got to get this done. Yeah. Like, the drums, like, speed up a little bit at the end. But they didn't even use, like, the whole thing, you know. There were certain parts they used, certain parts they didn't. But the coolest thing about all that was I was in Julius Caesar at the time, not when I wrote it. I did that on my own. Then I got the gig with Julius Caesar. And then in all that, they were like, hey, we want you to be on the season finale performing the song. Right. So they had like this big biker bash at the end of the show and where they basically show the camaraderie and the love for all the brothers. Um, and then they had like me and Julius Caesar perform it. And we, it was cool. We got to wear like our bassist had a clothing line at the time. So we got to wear all of his clothing, get the sponsorship shown on TV, on TV. And yeah, so it was cool. It was fun. Um, we literally like we didn't even perform a whole set for the for the for the 
guys. Like we technically should have set up, played a whole show, and just yeah, and just had a good time. But we literally came in with all of our gear, played that song, and then one of our originals. We played uh, Second Coming. Okay. So because that had just hit, that had just dropped. So we just did those two singles. And then, like, we packed up. We literally came in full production. Like, all the giant road cases. The TV crew looked at us, and they were like, holy shit, like, you're no joke. Yeah. So I just went to Julius Caesar, and I asked him, like, listen, the song's it's kind of cheesy, but it's if you guys learn it, we can perform it on TV, and it's a good opportunity to expose our band. Yeah. And they were like, absolutely. Like, who would say no to that? You know? Yeah, yeah. So it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was got my, you know, five minutes of fame on TV with it. Um, so you were just in the one, because... IMDB has you credited for nine episodes. That's my father. Oh, okay. We have the same name. Yeah, he's in the Fagawis. So the, he was the direct hookup with that. Like one of the only really cool and lucrative things he helped me with in my, in my life when it came to my music was that. Um, so I got to give him a lot of thanks to that. But um, he, yeah, he, he had been kind of trying to hard sell me to to the director and the production team. Like this kid writes his own music like, and he's getting national exposure he's on Sirius XM why aren't you using him like yeah. we can build a story about and that was the initial how they sell, sold it to me that I was supposed to be in the episode and be interviewed or like and discuss how the bike club's been doing things for everyone else well let me do something for them yeah you know like and how like everything comes full circle but the production team just they just didn't have their shit together I'll be honest they're a great company um New Wave Productions, I believe it is. They they do all their all the stuff on Netflix for uh, all like the big stand up comedy and okay. everything, but like there was so much they should have and could have done with that show, and they totally botched it all. Like they they just dropped the ball big time. Like realistically, how cool would it have been? That would have been an awesome story. Like the the guys are doing so much charity work for everyone in the community. Now all of a sudden, the kid the guy's kid comes in and says, "You know what, pops." Because you've been working so hard and helping everyone else out, let me do something badass for you. And then you surprise them with this song. Yeah. Like, that could have gone a really long way. The biggest thing that they screwed up on the whole thing was they put the premiere episode up against Sons of Anarchy. Wow. Same time slot, that, that same night. That doesn't make night. any sense at all. And their, their excuse was, people who watch Sons of Anarchy are a dim- different demographic than people that are going to watch this show. You're like, they're bikers, dude. <laughs> like, it's a biker club. Like, it's the same fucking demographic. It's yeah. the same group of people... It's the same blue-collar worker who's going to, like, watch both of those shows. Yeah. My dad watches both of those shows. Like, he watches History Channel for all that stupid yeah. reality crap. Like, and they just dropped the ball big time. And then it was getting good exposure in, like, Australia or some crazy... Say, huh. Yeah, it was Australia. Uh, but but here in the States, it, it kind of... It just missed the mark, so they never renewed this for yeah, a second season. Yeah, I was going to say, it was, only, it was listed as only the, the nine episodes. Nine episodes, one season, yeah. They missed the mark by like a couple like views. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, as as you know, uh, you know, you 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 uh, you know, I'm a big supporter of of, of music and and everything. Uh, and and I I still buy CDs and all that. Yeah, like, which I what, love. What what I want to know what your thoughts are on the general state of the industry. Like like I like I addressed with with Chris yeah. in the last episode, and like I address on 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 Facebook all the time. You know, a lot of a lot of fans like to like to justify the you know the illegal downloading or the or the Spotify memberships or whatever because they say, oh well, you know, the bands make all their money on shows the and bands don't make anyway. any money on anything, dude. Like that's that's my take on it. You know, everyone else gets paid but the fucking artist. And if you're smart enough and you're you're resilient enough, like I think people like Angel Vivaldi have it nailed down. Like he is so has he has his 
finger on the pulse of this industry right now. He's a prime example of a do-it-yourself artist um, who's able to capitalize on the new way of thinking and the way things are now. There is money to be made. I don't want to be here sitting sitting saying like there's no money to be made. But at the same time, this comes from a guy who had to run a GoFundMe campaign for his to finance his new music video because I'm not making money on my music. Granted, I'm also not touring and gigging and have the exposure that I need to sell the merchandise. Right. But there was a period of time where like if you were still releasing like music that people liked, people seemed to like my music. They downloaded a lot. Um, but I'm not making any money off of that. But then again, the artists never really made their money off the sales of, of their their CDs. Like the label took like a huge chunk of that. Right. You still had some residual, but not a lot. But I think there is still an opportunity to make money. The industry is not like dead and, and it's just evolved, it's changed. I think the biggest, the most important thing that a band could do is make sure that they are operating, controlling, and doing as much of, of everything as they can. Um, trying to like outsource when they can to the right people who are like industry standard is big and important um and i do believe that the industry will only survive and, sh and, and thrive if we're all helping and supporting one another right. um i'm all about that culture so that's why like, i have friends who are music directors who are audio engineers and they're all producing industry standard material um you know i'm not going like super f cheap and I'm, i like i have a standard that i want to uphold to yeah yeah um but I'm always about supporting those artists and about those other endeavors. Um, and as long as we're all sharing in that, in that cycle, well, I think we'll be okay. But the biggest thing that bands can do is know that you have to put yourself out there digitally. And it has to be in a format and a capacity that it's reaching a mass audience. Um, the biggest thing I think a band can do is pay for a huge PR campaign through one of these like massive PR companies and get themselves on all the right college radio stations to get themselves in the magazines, um, to get themselves on like the metal sucks sites and like yeah. the blabbermouths, uh, have their video premieres on these kinds of sites and to get themselves on like Pandora. Like I knew Angel Vivaldi because I had played shows with him in Jersey. Right. And I knew that he was awesome. He's really good, but he wasn't on a national level. Then one day I was listening to Pandora radio and I was listening to probably in flames radio you know, because like all my favorite bands get played on their soil work on Earth and Flames, like yeah. all these great bands. And then all of a sudden, I fucking heard um, a Martian winner. I heard Angel Vivaldi on there. Wow. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, dude, I just played a Dingbats with him. What do you mean he's yeah. on Pandora? And I had looked into getting Will Kilmore on there, but they turned down the idea because it cost too much money. Uh. Well, it costs money to make money. If you mm. don't treat your band like a business, as much as I don't want to treat this like a business, and I'm not about the money. I'm about making sure that I spend the money to get the exposure I need to, to even have a chance. Yeah. Because without that, like, you, you know, you might as well just make this a hobby. And don't call yourself a professional musician unless you're willing to spend the money that it takes to get yourself put out there. Like, all these industry professionals, they don't care what the hell you're doing unless they see it on a national level. Like, I remember having talks with Monty Connor from Roadrunner. Now he's at Nuclear Blast. And I was like, why isn't, why aren't you signing us? You say we're good. Like, you said that we weren't what Roadrunner was looking for, but you said we were definitely what, like, Nuclear Blast and Metal Blade was looking for. Now you're running Nuclear Blast and you're still not signing us. Like, what the fuck else do I have to do, you know? Yeah. And, like, he was just like, I want to see you on this kind of national caliber. Like, like I want to see you playing, like, 
Webster Hall. Like, not even, I want you main floor Webster Hall. I'm like, that's, well, I need you to get there. But what he the, the message that he was trying to, I think that he was trying to give to me was that you need to be investing a lot more, like, on the national level. You need to, like, put your money where your mouth is yeah. and get put, put yourself in those positions. So I'm not a huge I'm not a huge believer in paying to play anymore. I did that for so many years, and I think a lot of musicians say the same thing. But at the same time, if like a show presented itself and I had the money to get onto it, like it'd probably be pretty cool. Just right. but like I'm over saying, oh yo, I just opened up for Unearth again, or I just opened up for for fucking Soil Work. Like as much as I love those bands, I want to open for them and all that. I also that's three thousand dollars or whatever that can go into my campaign that yeah. can go into my band that can go into my own shows and my own merch and so stop bands have to stop throwing away their money on other things that don't help them yeah um like you playing a show one show in your hometown with a big band isn't going to really do a whole lot for you it will help you it will help create a buzz yeah and i believe at the beginning it might be a necessary evil when you're kind of first starting but once you've developed if you have if you're fortunate enough and lucky enough to get to a position where you kind of have a name now or you got a buzz about you, well, now you have to, all that money that you generate for yourself needs to go back into yourself and yeah. cannot go into the hands of of other bands um, just to like help them get to their next town on tour. That's crazy. And so many bands still don't understand this concept. And you have to be willing to go all out. Like if you want your record to sound like the last Lamb of God record, well, then you're going to have to go and get Lamb of God's producer, an yeah. engineer. And that's going to cost a lot of money. Or you can learn to do it yourself. And that's going to take years to master. Like Steve Toth is a great engineer. He does it all himself. The records come out great. But then we still utilize like Kevin from Backroom and Dillinger Escape Plan. Or we use uh, Joel of Circuitry because they've, perfect, they've mastered like mixing and mastering and reamping and all that stuff. They're really awesome and nerdy when it comes to gear and, and that kind of recording technology. Um, but we're utilizing industry standard stuff, you know, right. like, and you have to be willing to invest in that. You can't half-ass it. Like whenever I get tattoos, there's always a sign that says good work is not cheap and cheap work is not good. Yeah. And honestly, that couldn't be more true. Like it's the, it's the God's honest truth in everything in life. It's very rare that you'll find something like that's if it sounds too good to be true it usually is right so bands need to focus more on like what do i have to do to invest in my craft and my and my 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 brand like every band i was in i was working my full-time job sometimes i was working corporate jobs where i had to travel from connecticut stanford connecticut working nine to five there driving all the way to clifton to rehearse until like 11 o'clock at night to then just do the same thing again on a friday but then have to go to clifton grab my gear and then drive to Delaware to make it in time to play like a 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock set. Right. Like you have to be willing to do all that. If you do all that work, then the state of the industry won't fucking matter. You're going to get your end result. Like I think that a lot of that's a big excuse that a lot of people make for not quote unquote making it. You're, you can make, you can make the most out of anything if you just put in the time and the work and don't make excuses for anything. But that's the only thing like Doc Coyle, God forbid, look at Doc. That dude puts in work 24-7. He's a motherfucking hustler. Yeah. That dude's a G. Like, straight up G. Like, everything he does, he's always on the grind. Yeah. I mean, now he's out in L.A., and he's connecting with even more of the right people, and he's got Tommy Vex out there with him now. Yeah, they, they Jose's out band there. And... Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. They have two new bands. Did you see uh, Bad Wolves? That was the one I was talking about. What's oh well? Oh right. Well, I'm sorry. Vexed has two two bands. Yeah. Really. Right. But then then Doc's also got uh, Vagus Nerve. Yeah. Which is which awesome. I just featured them on the Music Hub last week. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. And both those bands, like from what I heard of, uh, Bad Wolves is just a little snippet. yeah, just a little sounds teaser. Awesome. Yeah, it does. Sounds really good. But he's a fucking hustler, dude. You'll never hear him say that the industry is why he's not where he is. He utilizes the industry to, to however he can. Granted, he has a leg up on most people because he was signed to Century Media. He's had exposure to all these industry people. Yeah. But he's still got to wake up, go to work. Yeah, man. I mean, he was he, he was bartending at Dingbats yeah, for right. a bit after after right. he left. Duff's God Dingbats, yeah. Getting whatever gigs he could and doing what he had to do to support his love and be a professional musician. And I can legit say he's he's still a professional musician, you know? And but the majority of his day and time, from what I'm gathering, what I see, is based off of creating music, being surrounded by music. His podcast is dope as fuck. Yeah. Like, he's, he's a hustler. You have to be a hustler. And the last three or four years, like with this solo project, I wasn't being a hustler like I used to be. Like, I used to be on the grind 24-7. Yeah. And... Like I said, I got burnt out because I was doing it. I didn't know how to balance it. But now that I'm older, I, you know, you learn from mistakes. You're then able to find the balance, and that's why I'm like going full force with the shit I am now. Yeah, yeah. The, which brings me, you you mentioned before, you're doing the GoFundMe for that. Yeah. Um, for the music video, when what is there a set end date for the campaign? I mean, I see you've already yeah, you've already the hit the goal. Yeah, but... I couldn't believe it, dude. I could not believe that shit. I was like, I was in tears, like legit, legit in tears because I didn't necessarily believe it was going to even happen like or work like i did it on a whim um because like i said like it's a solo project and even though i'm incorporating members now everything is my writing it's my creative my creative outlet um so i have to finance anything and everything i do whether it's creating merch doing all the recordings like each single alone is costing like 12 to 12 to 1500 dollars just to record mix and master so which is it's a lot of money you know but it's because I'm only doing it single at a time and I'm not doing like an album. Um, but right there, I was like, man, this is getting really expensive. And it's not like I don't have, it's not like I'm flat broken. I don't have the money to do this, the music video. But I said to myself, I was like, since I'm not gigging or touring and I don't have a way to sell merch every night and sell tickets and sell physical stuff, like... If people, I want to see, do people really still believe in this and support this? Or is this just like all a pipe dream, you know? So I just on a whim, I just created the fucking thing. Like I did a little video here in my apartment explaining what the money was going to go towards. And dude, I, I literally was in tears because in a week and a half, I made the goal. Like and I didn't ask for a lot. I see a lot of bands asking for thousands of dollars. I asked for $1,000. And I didn't even want to ask for that much. But the music video alone is taking up a huge chunk of change of that. Um, and again, all this is to like offset what I've had to already spend. Yeah. Um, like all through, like over the, all the years, when you think about it, all the merch I've produced for this, like, and all the singles, it's, I'm still in the red. I'm still not even going to be able to pull a profit, but at least it's helping just a little bit. Yeah. Like, okay, that's a, th- thank God it's another thousand. I don't have to pull out of my pocket. It's a lot of freaking money, you yeah. know? So I couldn't believe it, man. We're, I think we're up to like 1140 as of last time I checked. Um, it doesn't have like an end date, but I was going to just run it for like this next week. And if anyone still wanted to contribute, I would appreciate it. Yeah. I don't, I'm not encouraging people to necessarily do it, but it, 
it does help. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's just a little bit less money I have to pull out of pocket. But I couldn't fucking believe it. I was so grateful. And literally all last week, every day I was at the post office just sending out packages, you know, and you know, people get a shirt or whatever, but I also threw in like the download cards and the stickers and buttons and things that I had, you know, yeah. just to like, because I want people to like be able to like look at that and look at, look at what I'm doing and be like, all right, he's, he's back. Like he's on the level. Like he's, he's focused. He's doing this like the legit way and our money's going towards a good cause. Yeah. Like we're not going to see like a half-assed shit product when we're done. So I just couldn't believe it, man. I really, really couldn't believe it. People still want to go and help out if they listen to this. They could just go to the GoFundMe. It's GoFundMe.com slash The Silencer. And they get some pretty dope t-shirts if they donate enough money. Um, but the most important thing I've been saying is please just share my music. Yeah. Like share what's out there because I just want people to hear the message. And like my lyrics are very important to me. They all dive into my past. And, and I'm proud of the music. So I want people to hear it. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And, and so, do you know you you said earlier that you have to get the band rounded out, and then you can do the video once you got the rest of the band. Yeah, I mean, even if like, let's say like something catastrophic happened, and like everyone who was on board for the band setting decided to bail out, I talked to the director, and we have some ideas to still make a dope video without a band. Um, but as of now, it's looking pretty good. Like I said, I got Zachy on drums, I got Johnny on guitar. Um, I have a dude who's gonna learn the songs so he can at least be in the video. And like I like I could it could be really easy. I can just ask anyone here. Here's a bass. Pretend you're my bass player. <laughs> but that like for me, when I'm watching it, I would know he's faking it. Yeah. Like he doesn't know the song. And like if I'm on like like an E chord and he's playing like a G, like you know like yeah. musicians know that kind of thing when we see it. So um, I just gotta get him to learn the one song, which yeah. shouldn't be too long. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully the video will entice other musicians to come out of the woodwork and be like, yo, that's dope. I want to be a part of what he's doing. So then when I put out these posts or I try to reach out to musicians that they're like, all right, this isn't as dormant as I thought it once was. Yeah. He's kind of doing his thing again. I would love to be a part of it. And then hopefully they believe enough in what I'm doing to want to sign on for the project. That's awesome, man. Um, so, uh, a while back, you had told me uh, you you had had an idea of of wanting to get sort of a your own school of rock type place together, and that and that that fell through. And after that, you had said, "Man, I think I'm gonna fucking move." <laughs> like, are you still yeah. planning on doing that? Or are you yeah. gonna Are you gonna stay around here? Yeah, that's it's crazy, man. I had a really big business venture that was take that was starting to unfold um, in the town over called Nyack, which is like a music hub, an arts hub. Um, and it was going to be this huge... I don't know if you remember the one school of rock that was in... I forgot where in North Jersey it was. But it was a venue. And it was a school attached to it. It housed 3,000 kids as a venue. Oh, wow. So that I had the same idea to do something like that. I was going to do a school of rock franchise. But they just wanted too much money just for the name. And after working for school of rock and seeing what you get... like I could easily, in my area, do that thing without their name. Without the, without the brand. Yeah, because you're not getting super ultra national advertising like people think. Yes, the name is there. The name is huge. But like, when was the last time you saw a School of Rock TV commercial? You see Dunkin' Donuts, right? You see McDonald's. That's a franchise you might want to buy into. You see, you get free advertising all the time. Um, that just wasn't there. You're getting IT support from them and they help set up your scheduling system. And there is exposure, but 
with just like my contacts and everything, like I could just do it myself. Right. And why am I gonna give someone like almost a hundred grand just to use their name? That's stupid. Right. Again, it goes back to the idea that I was talking about. Try to keep as much of the 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 money in your in your favor. Yeah. To support your project and, and your endeavors. So I wasn't will, I wasn't willing to do that, but I had this awesome opportunity, huge state of the art facility that we were gonna do. Two of the investors backed out. Like, turns out one just wanted the work. He was a construction guy, right. contractor. The other one was an architect. They were, like, thinking that they were just going to be able to do the work. That was going to be their... Their contribution. Their contribution. Still charge us, and then still get residual from the business. Uh, I was like, fuck you, man. I was like, I can get anyone to put up drywall. <laughs> you know, I can get anyone to, like, come in and do this. Like, I don't... that No, I need, like, financial contribution. So... When that had, when that folded, I was like kind of discouraged. I was really discouraged, but I was like, all right, well, it's too expensive to live here in New York. It's just it's out of hand, and I've been renting this apartment when I really don't need to. So that's more money that's just being thrown out the window. I'm not gonna see any return on that ever. Yeah. Um, and when I did the math about how much I spent in rent, I was like, that was that could have been a mortgage on a home. Yeah. So I visited Asheville, North Carolina, and it was gorgeous. Um, I have some friends who live out there. Smoky Mountain region, Blue Ridge Mountains, it's beautiful, great arts town, music-oriented, all in favor and support of local business, huge brewery town, there's like 70 breweries in like a 10-mile radius, it's the home of Sierra Nevada, there's a ton of self-sustaining businesses, they're really green out there, um, a lot of green initiatives, and they're all about supporting the local scene, the local, it reminds me of being in a band, like every local business, if you spend $5 in the local um I don't know, the local liquor store, like you might get a voucher then to get $5 off or 15% off at another store that's down the road. Yeah. And everyone's tied in together and it's, it's so awesome. And there's a lot of opportunity and what I, for what I want to do with that kind of like music school, I think I'm not going to do the venue now because it's, that was a huge undertaking and I really didn't need the venue to thrive off the school. Like this actually, it could have hindered the progress of the school. Um, because if not enough money was coming in from the venue, now the school could suffer and, or vice versa. So I'm just going to focus on the school. B- basically, same thing, though. School of Rock-based school, like where it focuses on music education, more specifically uh, performance education with other students, getting them all in a room and teaching them how to like conduct themselves with other band members, how to create a band for that couple of songs that they play together, um, have themed style shows, you know, but see, when I was I was music director over at a school of rock in Somerville, New Jersey, and I had those kids playing the illest shit on the planet. Like, so most school of rocks they had a like they had a certain curriculum that you can choose from, like history of Led Zeppelin, you know, best of Dave Grohl, uh, the best of the Beatles, you know, right, stuff right. like that. In- English Invasion, like cool, awesome, old school stuff, great. I had, <laughs> I think I broke the rules too. Like I don't think. By law, like school of rock law, I don't think I was allowed to do this, but I did it anyway. I'm like, like punk rock, you know? Like, so I was like, all right, here we go. I came in, cause some of the kids wanted to do a prog show. Prog was okay. They were like, cool, you guys can do Rush. You can do some like early like Genesis and Journey stuff, like stuff that was more proggy. But then all of a sudden I like started thinking like, well, what's prog now or what could be considered? So I was like, Opeth, yeah. uh, Between the Buried and Me. Uh, we did Mars Volta. We even did Mastodon because they, their stuff's kind of proggy. Yeah. Even like some ghost stuff is like, it sounds like old, like Blue Oyster Cult or old prog stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I threw that in there. Um, then we did like another show where we did like pop punk, but 
I did like a lot of emo bands and metalcore bands in there that have like a pop punk element yeah. that that no school of rock has touched. And then we fast forward, we did a show at Highline Ballroom in Manhattan, and the kids had the best response out of all the schools. It was like a best of school of rock season where all the the schools from the New York and New Jersey area come together in Highline Ballroom, which is like a really nice fancy venue in the city. Yeah, I went there once to see Corey Taylor did like a spoken word yeah. solo thing. Yeah, nice venue. Yeah, yeah. Big, right? Yeah. So imagine a bunch of like kids aging from like 10 to like 17 being able to perform on those in that yeah, stage. That's awesome. The big digital like board behind them, the digital uh, background. like So our kids performed like Avenged Sevenfold and like some like really heavy shit. Nice. Dude, they, they were the only school that had a mosh pit like break out so all the imagine this all the parents are up in like the stands like up upstairs watching over all the kids from all the other schools are down on the floor so it's basically just a reason for all these kids to get together and party yeah you know like with obviously like no alcohol well i think the parents can still drink i don't remember but like the kids obviously are not like getting screwed up and they're good kids but they're just want to release their energy like it's a giant playground for them so now all of a sudden our kids come on and it's like we utilize like the best musicians in the school to to um to represent the school for yeah. this big show. And they did like Avenged Sevenfold and something. I forgot what else we did. We did a bunch of songs, but when they did that Avenged Sevenfold song, and oh, they did, I think they did Coheed and Cambria's Welcome Home okay. as well. Um, all of a sudden, huge pit. Dude, a huge fucking mosh pit. Like, I thought I was at a Lamagacha or like I thought I was at an Avenged Sevenfold show. <laughs> I could not believe it. The kids came off stage. They were just like so hyped. And just being able to see how much music impacts a child's life. Like how, you know, remember what it's like to be a teenager. How hard was it at times, you know? Yeah. Like, and knowing that these kids could come to me and confide in me. And then through the love of music, we were able to overcome every obstacle and every roadblock that these kids had. Whether it was a learning disability, whether it was an emotional or personal issue, whether it was just something as simple as not being able to play a music part correctly. We were able to get through all of that. And like the joy and the pride that the parents had, that the kids had, that I had was like nothing has been able to top that that high like when i saw those kids perform that's better than any gig i've ever had like straight up so i'd always said like when i wasn't doing music anymore i want to open a school but i'm always going to be doing music that's just the reality of it but i would desperately love to open a school and where i'm looking there is nothing like that out there right now not when i'm on the level i want to do so i'm i'm excited i we're talking about moving in september Shit's going really cool with the silencer right now. If I move, now all of a sudden I lose all those musicians. Right. But it's at heart, it's a, still a solo project. I still write everything. I could always acquire musicians, or I could always travel back here to do the shows with them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I'm going to necessarily let that stop me from moving. But I also have a lot going on with the Monster Factory too, like all the things we've been talking about. Yeah. So I am t- kind of tied here, but I'm also tired of being here. Mm. You know, and I really do think I need to change. Nashville's gorgeous. But there's there's no industry around there like like in L.A., New York. Yeah, you know. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even in a band or anything, and, and doubt that I ever will be. But I always I always say like I could not live outside of like. I couldn't live too far from New York, and if I had to, I'd have to be close to L.A. Like I right, right, right. You have to just be... just just for the, the 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 sake of like, being in a major market where shows come to all the time. Like I see all these posts right. online all the time of people. Just bitching at bands like, why aren't you coming here? Why aren't yeah. you coming here? Like, I don't want to be one of those. Whi- yeah. I mean, I'm not, not going to be one of those whiny people, but I'll whine to myself. <laughs> you know, like, and I don't want to. I don't yeah. want to. My friend Justin and Aaron, they live out um, in Asheville, 
and they say the same thing. There is a venue there, and it does house like some pretty good metal shows and stuff. But like, it's hard to get to a really good show. You have to travel, yeah, to see the good stuff, like the big stuff. Whereas like we're spoiled here. Like we have everything. We have MetLife Stadium. We have MSG. We have all the arenas. Then we have all the venues. We have Roseland. We have Hammerstein. Well, Roseland's done. But we have Hammerstein. We have Webster Hall. We have Irving Plaza. The list goes on and on. Then there's smaller places. Yeah, stuff like Dingbats. Then you have, right, you have the Dingbats, Santos Party House, and you have stuff. Is Santos still open? I don't know. I mean, it was the last time I was there, but that was years ago. I, I, yeah, I've never ago. been there. I, I, yeah, it was a cool place. It was cool. I saw Killswitch there. I, I was actually sang on stage with Jesse Leach. Nice. Yeah, I had there. heard about the Killswitch show there. I think I was at a different... Like the one time that Killswitch played there, I was in the city at a different show at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was another show going on that night. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was now. I want to say like five. No, 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 not Five Finger Death Punch. Oh, what was it, dude? Killswitch and oh no, well Obituary went on, but that was like a day or two earlier because I was at that show. Maybe it was Five Finger Death Punch or like some big big show was yeah, going on. Been, I don't know. But yeah, it was a long time ago. But yeah, we have so much in the way of venues and, and places to see and experience live music that it's pretty much a hub. Like, I don't know if I'd, if it would be hurting me, but I think it would be doing me a great service in terms of my business. Yeah. And as long as I'm not making money with the band, I still have to, or, you know, making money with music and it's not like 100% a professional gig where I'm supporting myself on it. Well, I got to kind of move where, where it's going to benefit me you know, and, and taxes are so cheap out there, and land is so beautiful, and, and people are so nice. Yeah. And everything's laid back. And, you know, it's like a 10-hour drive back here, and it's only a flight away to, like, be back here. And so I figured maybe we'll just go and we'll rent for a little while, like a couple months, just to get familiar with the area. Yeah. And if worse comes to worse, we can always come right back. Yeah, I just had some friends do that. They... they... Wanted to be closer to her father, who lives in Nebraska, so they moved to Nebraska. Yeah, they're staying with her dad for a few months until they can, because uh, they didn't want to. They didn't want to be living in Jersey, trying to buy a house in Nebraska. They figured, let's go to Nebraska, and then we can find the house. Right. So that's that's their plan. Yeah, it's a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, with with the silence, are you uh, are you? Gonna, do you want to try and kind of keep things the way they are as far as doing it on your own, or do you want to try and get get signed, or do you want to try and do some sort of a distribution deal? What is your What is your goal yeah. as far as as far as that goes? Ideally, I would like to be able to tour on the stuff and start off like opening slot band, you know, and and just and just yeah, people just think I'm crazy because I'm 35 years old and I still want to get in a van and tour the world just to play, just to have. 45 minutes of awesomeness yeah. followed by the rest of the day. But I'm like the eternal optimist, so everything's beautiful to me for the most part. So I love seeing different states and cities and countryside and just being on the road. I love to drive. Very much a loner in that respect. That's why the last single is called Solitary Lupus, which means lone wolf. Yeah. It's kind of cheesy, but it's <laughs> true. Like I feel like Zach Galifianakis, but it's one of those deals where it's like, I wouldn't mind being able to just tour on the stuff um a distribution deal would be cool i would love to do a small run of vinyl with all the singles with the different production values right keep them as is not remix and master to be uniformed keep them as they are um i would love to do something like that and get some kind of distribution but i want to be playing live i just that's like my biggest goal with this right now is to get to a point where i am playing live I missed the hell out of playing live. I was in a band briefly playing drums called Silence Equals Death. They're a hardcore band out of Jersey. They just got signed to Eulogy, 
which I didn't even know was still like a label. Huh. I remember they signed like on Earth back in the day, and I think Ender. Um, but like, I was with them for a really brief period. But I just started working for School of Rock, so that had to become my priority over yeah. the their band. And which is crazy because that band was kind of like the Silencer. It was like the singer's band. Yeah. He wrote all this stuff, and it was his his material. And like, it came to a point where we were doing like benefit shows and benefit shows like everything for, for hardcore is like a benefit show now like so like then we like had to travel to uh like upstate new york on a friday it was snowing like massively the show was going to be canceled it was like a major storm so we made the executive decision to not go then the next show i got called into work last second and i was like i i can't i don't know what to tell you guys like i just started this gig with the school of rock thing i can't get fired i don't yeah. like this is going to be my new future kind of thing so I chose right then and there. I was like, well, this isn't really my baby. And anyone could play what you wrote. It wasn't like really crazy hard stuff to learn. So I was just like, I didn't leave the band. I had no intention of leaving. I just said I couldn't do the show. And then like the next day I woke up and the singer went on this crazy stupid rant on Facebook and social media about me and attacking me personally when I had been literally showing up to his house every day to learn the parts and play drums and rehearse with them fucking four or five days a week yeah like i'd get there by like 10 o'clock in the morning and i'd stay till like three in the afternoon just sweating my ass off playing in his rehearsal space to learn all the material and uh then i woke up the next day to see that and i was like oh cool you did it you did it for me you showed you showed your colors yeah you know like i didn't i didn't quit the band i didn't leave i just said i couldn't do it one show yeah like like shit happens and it wasn't like it was a big fucking deal it was one of those things where like you're still, you know, you're, you're, you're in the mindset that you were when you were 16 trying to book shows and play shows that, that aren't necessarily beneficial to you. Right. Like, so too many bands do that too often. They they play, because it's a show, it's an opportunity, they want to get the exposure. Not every single show is a good show and is going to be beneficial. And if it, you know, if it's going to cost you fucking $200 to get all the way out to upstate New York and you're not playing in front of a packed like it's one thing if you're playing to like a packed VFW like like show or or, the, or it's a bar and it's packed or a club's packed but if you're playing a benefit show in front of like 15 people in the other bands it's not super super beneficial to you and you kind of have to like not even necessarily that happens a lot too just in general you get these shows where they book fucking four or five hours of locals before the tour package starts right. it's like nobody wants oh, yeah. to sit in a venue yeah. from fucking two in the afternoon until midnight it's because they can't afford to pay the <laughs> they can't afford to pay the the national bands so they basically sucker all the local bands into selling tickets quote unquote which means that's why there's no one at the show because they just buy the tickets out so let's say you're playing a venue and they're like yeah we need five locals and then the tour package well first off the tour package probably hasn't even rolled through to the venue yet by the time your band goes on yeah. you're playing to the other bands and if you were fortunate enough to sell tickets to people they're there to see you uh, a lot of the bands don't sell tickets they just buy the tickets out and then give the money right to the promoter yeah. who then in turn gives it to the to the uh, national tour manager to divvy up how he needs to Yeah, and like I said so now you're paying for the food allowance for the other bands you're paying for the guarantee of the band for the club and, uh, and you're paying for the gas for those bands like you're just paying their guarantee. It's it's ridiculous. Now, if you're like one band on the tour package, yeah, like there's one local slot, and the tour package starts at eight o'clock. The show starts at eight, 
and you're playing at like seven seven thirty, that's a different story. Right. Like now you, you have there's opportunity. There's there's stragglers coming in at the beginning. There's people right. who are gonna who are gonna be interested in possibly seeing you. But the, yeah, like what you're talking about, like that happens way too often. And I learned that it's just not. And we did it. I did it in all my bands because unfortunately. You know, you're not the only voice of reason. You have to contend with four or five other members who might not share the same mindset. And when you're outvoted, you're outvoted. But a lot of frivolous, meaningless spending on those kinds of shows. Don't get me wrong, I met some amazing people. Yeah, I mean, I always try and get there when the show starts. But Yeah, but it, you're like the, you're the silent hard. minority. Yeah, and it's hard sometimes, man. Like, Especially when, when, when there's a pretty good chance... Uh, you know, and I try and be open-minded, but especially if there's a pretty good chance that, that at least half of those opening bands... Or just un- unintelligibly screaming their faces off in a way that doesn't appeal to you at all. Like it, it gets hard to sit through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know. They used to be like that back in the day at Obsessions in Randolph, New Jersey. That was an old club that this guy used to run. He's kind of like a shady character who ran the place, but he would do that, man. Like I remember seeing, a, I think it was like Satyricon and Zyklon. It's like this black metal package, yeah, you know. Yeah. But they had started becoming more industrial at the at that point, um, and. Uh, he had just booked like a, so many locals on the show, and the show didn't end until like one or two in the morning. Like by by the time I think uh, Satyricon was going on, like I was passing out, and I was young too. Like I was young, yeah. And I, and I was tired. So like, this is ridiculous. And like, but you know, you find gems and all that. Like there's certain bands that are just like that's kind. Of, that's how I discovered. God forbid, they were like a local band, got on the first in flames tour. I was like, all right, who the hell is this band? They're not signed. I don't care. You know, I was like that stupid, like young kid metal mentality. And then they're playing and I'm like, oh, they're pretty good. Like they're heavy as shit. Then they fucking covered Blinded by Fear by At The Gates. And I was like hooked. I was sold like (laughs) immediately. I was like, oh my God. Like so crazy that when they got signed to Century Media years later, they opened up for Opeth and Lemoore's. Um, And me and my friend had gone to the show. We were hanging out like dudes from Shadows Fall because they had played the night before. And fucking... We went up to, I think it was like Byron and Doc and maybe Dallas at the time. And we're like, dude, please tell me you guys still remember how to play Blinded by Fear. And they're like, yeah, we know how to play it. We can throw it in occasionally. We're like, please fucking play it tonight. Please play it. And they're like, nah, man, we can't change our set, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they like signed a poster. And this is before like I got to know Doc and like some yeah. of those guys. But so like he signed a poster for my friend Chuck and... Then all of a sudden like we're like, no, you have to play it. Like we're like chanting it in the crowd kind of thing. <laughs> and so sure as shit, like... They either opened for blind, they opened with Blinded by Fear or they closed with Blinded by Fear. And Byron said something like, this is for all you at the gates, old school at the gates fans. And they played it and they killed it. And like I had, would, and it's crazy in retrospect, I would have never known him and would have never played with him at Dingbats and then gotten to know other people because of him. And right. Like had it not been for seeing him as a local band. Yeah, yeah. So there is something to be said, like, like the local bands are the workhorses to the industry. They are. Like, yeah. but they just need to like focus more on, I think, throwing their own shows. Yeah, I mean, what is how, how does the saying go? Every band started as a local band somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's true. It's true. But just that not enough of the bands like focus on throwing their own shows. Like I love throwing my own show. I don't care if it's in a bar that only holds a hundred people. I'd rather throw my own show where I can control who's making what, um, what bands are on the bill, how long it goes, and just have it be like. It's like, we come in for the night, we destroy the place, and then, you know what I mean? Like, that's the best bet. Yeah. I've always wanted to do that. Uh, uh, You know, I don't know anything about booking a show, but I've always wanted to just, you know, for for my birthday or something, or I always say, if I ever 
I ever win the lottery, yeah. you know, like the two things that I would want to do is I'd want to I'd want to like start some sort of a label or some sort of a way to help bands get their music out there and start some sort of a venue where I could book shows. But even if it if it's not that, like even if I come into money, fucking a relative dies, I not that I have any rich relatives, but you know, <laughs> that you know of. Yeah, you know, somehow you know of. somehow every I get some money. Every good movie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, but somehow I come into money or 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 I'm just able to to make it happen somehow. Just to do a show like for my birthday or something and just book bands that I want to hear. Yeah. You know, that I want to see. There's people who do that. I've I've seen it. It's just difficult because like so many bands are so demanding. Yeah. Like like I mean hopefully the bands are cool enough to be like, yeah, man, we'll do it for like almost nothing because it's your birthday and yeah. like you support music and fuck yeah. Like I would say yeah, like straight up. I'd be like, yes, because you're a huge advocate to the scene. Like you, you support local business. You support, you support buying CDs and like really helping the local talent out. But like other bands, like they could be douchebags. You know, they could be like, uh, well, if we're not getting our guarantee, meanwhile, like, they like played in front of four people at Zingbats. Yeah. What guarantee? Yeah. See, the one band I'd love to get, and this is why money comes into play, because it would be logistically hard and fucking expensive to make happen. But I would love to get Mutiny Within to oh, yes. come play a yeah. show back because they haven't played, you know, since they were on Roadrunner. Chris moved back to to the UK, and their last two albums, you know, they put out, but they they haven't played because they're they're yeah. all over the place. They're all over the place. I'd love to pull those guys back together. Yeah, they're for a great band. Even just one show. They're awesome. When um when their drummer left, I was gonna audition for them. I had been in contact with them, but then Will Kilmore was running hard, and I was literally like, if I audition and I get this gig, I'm gonna have to go and leave and be with them because they were they blew up. Yeah, I remember they got real fucking big. So then I like made the decision after Bill left. I was like, I listened to the songs. I started rehearsing them, and then I was like, ah uh, no no like I Will Kilmore is my baby. I'm not gonna leave it. I don't want to abandon ship just yet. And in retrospect, I'm like. Man, maybe I should have did that because they were fucking hot. But yeah, that'd be a good band. Yeah, like so. Yeah, right. So if you won the lotto, you could literally get any band. Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. so fuck like local bands. <laughs> get, no, like, no, I would still, I would still want to do. I would still want to get local. You know, you know. What sucks is that a lot of the bands that you know either get carcass to come play. either either bands that 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 I uh, that aren't necessarily local or even local bands. There's a lot of bands that I'm into that just yeah. aren't together or are in, or who knows like in a band i mentioned earlier beyond visible uh you know i'm hoping to get tom on the show at some point and maybe i can find out what the story is if they're even still together yeah, because together. they went they said they were taking a break for a few months and that was like three years ago yeah and right, Tom, right. <laughs> tom's in another band and dean's yeah. running a real estate company and you know yeah, they're still on break we'll never say never that's the big thing everyone always says never say never you know like we'll, like reunions actually People like you and like your ambition for that kind of stuff is why some of the best bands get back together. Like it's because of like you always hear these crazy stories. Like I don't, I'm I don't know. I'm just gonna use this as an example, but I don't know if this is why they got back together. I could be totally wrong about it. But like Refused was a band that everyone loved, right? Mm -hmm. Like like huge underground band that had some like pretty good mainstream success um, with the Shape of Punk. So like all of a sudden. They're disbanded or whatever. They're they're broken up. Then it took it took like one dude to like want to do something to throw some kind of show to do something and have them come back together, and then that in turn got the ball rolling. Like even the Guns N' Roses reunion, it took one of their old school like first starting out dudes to like who was there from the beginning to get them to like kind of get in the room together. Yeah, like it took it took one dude like you like. So it's not impossible to happen, you know what I'm saying? 
If you were like, hey man, I'm like your biggest fan. I think this is a perfect opportunity. I know of a venue. Like if I can get this working or at least get you in a room to try to get this to happen, just say I helped you. You know, like, like it, it happens, man. I would love to make it something huge. Like, you know, everybody has, you know, thoughts and dreams and who knows if they, they ever will come true. But it'd be nice to just put on like a, you know, J Bunny Fest at fucking like book fucking Starland for a weekend and J Bunny Fest. <laughs> Hop along to J Bunny Fest. <laughs> two night two nights only. At Starland. That'd be dope. That'd be really dope. Starland has some of the greatest shows, man. Some of the greatest experiences were at Starland. I've never fucking played Starland. No? No. Wow. I've never played Starland. I've always wanted to. Always, always wanted to. All my peers have played it. I'm like it's because I stopped, man. I stopped like at the height of where when I would have been playing there. But, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe one day. Yeah, well, I think that that's, I mean, that's it for the questions I wrote. But uh, is there before we go, is there anything else you want to say? Any parting words? Any uh, Anything else? We, any <laughs> stories we didn't get to that you wanted to tell? Oh, there's or? so many stories. But, like, we've been, this, this been going, how long have we been going? Like, two well, hours? Two hours yeah. and 14 minutes, yeah, according like to, to the recorder. I like to talk. I actually told my girlfriend that. I was like, this is, he's, I'll just keep going until that fucking recorder just death burns out on him. <laughs> um, I mean, no, I just... I love to travel, right? Like, I, I went to Sweden twice. Like, that was the cool... One of the coolest experiences of my life was um, being able to go there and then, again, through the Inflames connection, like, was able to go on stage in Germany in front of fucking 20,000 screaming Germans. They were all chanting my name. The video's on YouTube. Oh, wow. It was right before one of their songs. Like, like Anders, like, give it up for... Um, I think it was, like, uh, Ghost. So everyone said, yeah, give it up for Trivium. Yeah, they're just chanting the band name. They're like, give it up for Charles. And they're like, Charles, Charles, Charles. <laughs> that was the coolest experience of my life, like hands down. And the funny thing is like right before that happened, you know, I'm always used to being on the side of the stage, you know, usually drinking a beer or something, just rocking out. Like most people, when you see them on the side of the stage, they're pretty like fucking calm, right? Yeah. Like if it's if they're, it's my dudes, you know, if they're my friends and it's a band I like, I don't give a fuck. As long as I'm within my little section, not flailing my arms and disturbing the crew, I'm going to rock out, you know? Yeah. So I'm always going nuts for them. But um, Biffin, who, God, oh, God, anyone who's in the industry probably knows Biffin. Biffin's the man. So all of a sudden, Biffin comes over to me. He goes, you thirsty? I was like, yeah, we're in fucking Germany. I'm hoping I'm going to get a big German beer, you know? He hands me a cup. It looks like water. I was like, oh, well, thank you. You know, thank you for the water. I probably should hydrate after drinking all this German beer for a week. And... Um, so I go to like swing it. I'm like, oh shit, this is like vodka. Or so, <laughs> this is some crazy shit that he just put in some Swedish like medicine. I don't know what's in there. So I just down it. And then he, and then like, I start getting warm. <laughs> and then he just comes back over and just whispers in my ear, I hope you're ready to go on stage now. I go, what? And then he literally just pulled, he's like, and then my girlfriend, I guess my ex-fiance, the girlfriend at the time was like, she had known about it. Like, she had been talking to them. Like, they were going to pull me out on stage in front of all the fucking Germans and stuff. And so she's like, grab your camera. Like, I was like, what? What's going on? And they pull me out on stage. And I'm like, on the fucking, on like the ego uh, box with, with fucking uh, Anders, like, screaming. And like, you know, there's all these fans. And that was like the coolest experience of my life. Like, I don't know. That's not like a parting word thing. But I just figured I want to tell that story. Because yeah, yeah. anyone who hasn't checked it out, if they dig deep in YouTube and search, I think, like, Charles Corletta in flames or charles corletta like in flames germany i think it pops up that was like the coolest moment of my life i was like well i never played whack and open air i never played the big festivals that's as close as i think i'm gonna get right now yeah and that was pretty fucking dope i was so appreciative of that moment um 
I would just say parting words is uh, same thing as you support local music, support DIY artists. Um, and if you have the ability to contribute to a musician, um, whether it be by sharing their music, financially contributing by buying a CD or a t-shirt or going to a show, uh, please do it because none, none of the big bands or the big acts that people appreciate or like got there overnight. Yeah. No matter how many times people say they're an overnight sensation, that's never the case. It's always through years of diligence and hard work and tons of tons and tons of sacrifice and there's a lot of broken hearts and, and a lot of broken bones and a lot a lot of dues that have been paid by these bands and like people don't understand just how real the struggle is for artists and like like we kind of dove into a little bit of my personal shit you know for a minute about like a band could like trying to live out your dream and trying to like make yeah. the most out of your situation could cause you to go down a road that is really hurtful and like really like messes with your personal and emotional state but you're doing it and you're you're making that sacrifice and you're willing to let yourself go through that crap where most normal people wouldn't but you're willing to do that because you're trying to achieve like a seemingly impossible goal yeah but at the end of the day like i've been i always posting these like positive videos these motivational videos on 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 facebook and stuff i tell people and i tell myself this every day that a never take anything for life and granted uh, for granted always wake up appreciative of what you have and if you don't have something that you want don't make excuses as to why you can't have it go and work and get it because because yeah. i don't believe that that anything's impossible for anyone like i think anyone can achieve a dream and can get to a level that they're happy with and and live out their dreams but they have to put in the time and the work you can talk about it all you want and as if you don't really put in the the steps to get there that's not going to happen the only thing that separates the normal person from like the celebrities and the superstars is how much are you willing to to do for for that for that love for that passion yeah and um so people don't understand how how much it takes out of you so the more that the more support that we can get from the general public i think the, the better off it, it will be for us and hopefully we can like nurture and grow some new stars and some new amazing talent through all that yeah i mean that's why i do this honestly i don't think i i tried putting a band together in high school and it didn't work and i i don't play anything i was gonna sing and it just kind of it kind of fell apart before it started yeah and at this point you know kids and all that other shit like i just don't i'm never gonna get there but at least i can i can try and get other people there yeah you still support and you help and you have a passion for it you know and if you wanted to do it like your priority that's where your priorities are your children your family yeah. you know like and that's and that's the other thing i always tell people is like it's okay to let your priorities change like don't feel that you're a failure like don't hold on to something just because you feel like you have to if you if your gut's telling you like you took this to the end of the road and there's nothing much more you think that you can do with it based on how life's presenting itself to you and you feel like you need to reprioritize things then fucking do it you know like it doesn't mean you can't come back and revisit it like that's what i did i stepped away from things I like reorganized my thoughts, prioritized things differently. Um, my main focus wasn't what it was, and now it brought me full circle. You know, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Like people hold on to things for too long for the wrong reasons. Sometimes you have to be willing to let things go and kind of like take the leap of faith, and and see where you end up in a in a year or two later. Yeah. Just kind of, but again, like it's if you want to start a band, dude, you can fucking start a band tomorrow. You know, but. The fact that you still have a love and a passion for it, 
like helps tremendously. Like this is cool and dope. I was glad that we had time to do this today. You know? Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for having me oh, over yeah, to right. do it, man. And uh, hopefully uh, it's not too long before uh, you see the silencer on a stage. Yeah, I hope. So. Well, you at least see it on a freaking computer or TV screen soon yeah, enough. <laughs> right, thanks, Charlie. No problem.
That was Solitarius Lupus, the third standalone single released by The Silencer. I want to thank Charlie for being on the show, and I can't wait to uh, see them play out live once he's got his band rounded out and he's ready to go. Um, you guys, in the meantime, you can contribute to the GoFundMe that he has going to sort of, as he said, offset his costs for the music video he's shooting and the, the tracks that he's produced at uh, GoFundMe.com slash TheSilencer. You can also buy his previous three releases, Solitarius Lupus, um, the in, uh, Discovery of the Lost Cause, and In Waiting. You can get all of those on his Bandcamp page, which is thesilencermusic.bandcamp.com. And uh, I they may or may not be on, on Amazon. I haven't checked that recently, but you can also get the song that he recorded for the We're the Fugawis uh, show on the History Channel that is available on Amazon. I know that for sure. Um, and uh, like I said in the sort of the intro, uh, this is a really long one. Uh, I hope you stuck with it. And um, if you guys could provide some feedback about the episode, whether it should have been shorter, if some stuff should have been cut, uh, maybe I should have split it into two episodes. Like I said, let me know. You can leave all your feedback on the J Bunny's Music Hub Facebook page. Uh, I still don't have that Twitter account, so you can follow me at spiked underscore Ryu. In the meantime, I will get the J Bunny Music Hub Twitter up and running uh, perhaps uh, by the end of this week. And um, don't forget also, guys, as I as I always say, uh, buy music or it's buy music. If, if you don't, buy the art that you love it's going to go away so um until next time once again i don't have a real set schedule for these shows i got some some interviews lined up uh as far as people that are willing to do it but we don't have a time scheduled but i'm gonna try and maybe get these done once every week or two uh until next time uh i'm jay bunny signing out